Hi, hello. Welcome to another edition of the TetraCast, episode number 145 on this Saturday, March 14th, 2020. I am your host, Josh Torres. I am substituting in for the usual host, Brian Vitali. As you know... uh, Abducted by robots. Yeah, that's that's what we're going with. But, you know, as we record this podcast over the internet, he's having a bit of internet issues, you know, and whatnot. So stuff happens. So I'm just filling in uh, for this uh, episode. He needed a break anyway. Uh, Yeah. Joining us today, I have... Adam Vitali. Hello. Hey, guys. James Galizio. Hey. And George Foster. Hiya, guys. Hi. Uh, the world has kind of really week changed one. a bit. Yeah. In, in, yeah. In a week. So as you know, as uh, as of this moment in time, um, not you know, we're not going to be, be secretive about it or, you know, try to sweep a blanket over it. Uh, right now, we have the world is facing this novel coronavirus and whatnot. Uh, so it's starting to sweep over, you know, the United States, Europe, and just all over the whole world uh, right now. So it, things have been happening here and there. We'll be talking about it, seeing, checking up on everyone, making sure everyone's all right. Uh, so I, it's been just the first week. It's really, really hit the fan. It's, been a, it's been a really long us. week. Yeah. 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 Waking up every spring. day to to the news isn't very positive, but we can all talk about some games, have a have a positive time while we can. Yeah, right? yeah. But and, you know, just making sure you guys are doing all right. Uh, uh, of course, as a PSA to uh, let everyone know: wash your hands. Don't really, wash your hands. Don't touch anyone right don't, now. Don't touch your face. Don't touch your face. Any other ha- ha- helpful tips out there that you guys heard? Alright. That's about it. Yeah. That's, that's, I live alone and I don't plan on leaving for a while. Yeah. Uh, so some of us have been uh, on self-quarantine. I know James, uh, where you're studying right now at your university's uh, moving to online classes, right? Yeah. Actually, ours was ahead of the curve because like a bunch of the uh, UCs, uh, universities of California, originally mm-hmm. announced that they were doing online classes for two weeks after spring break or three weeks. Right. And UC Irvine, the school I go to, like right off, right out of the gate, they said, "Okay, screw that. We're doing the entire spring quarter online only." And now, mm-hmm. over the last couple of days, like we've been seeing some of those other UCs revise their statements to call, kind of fall in line with that. Probably because it makes a lot of sense. Because if you're going to be forcing students to and professors to do online classes for the first two weeks. It's going to be even more disruptive trying to force everyone to go back into class, like in person, when you're not even sure if it would still be a good idea to do so, like three weeks from now. Have you have you ever imagined in your lifetime like that such a situation would happen in your in your university? Uh, no. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. It, yeah, because I, I I've heard word. Uh, the college that I used to go to way back when, Cal Poly Pomona, um, they're taking the upcoming week off and then uh, starting on the 23rd, they're moving to online classes, but I don't know for how long. I uh, they, they say it's only going to be for a few weeks, but I doubt it. Um, but that's the situation yeah, that You see Irvine is so serious about it that they've basically been telling people, hey, if you're on in on-campus housing, maybe you should cancel and move home for a bit. <laughs> 
are they are they closing down everything or are they like leaving the cafeteria open for like students uh, who rely on that there's reduced like presence on the campus but it will still be open okay but um definitely going to be interesting to see if that's if that stays because they're whole... definitely trying to push people to go home uh, it's actually interesting because i had a like full like a uh, year parking pass and they're actually doing partial refunds for those so i'm gonna oh, wow, that's nice. that's hopefully get like a couple hundred bucks back for my parking pass yeah <laughs> makes nice. sense see it's so bizarre to hear like how everything is shut down where you guys are but here in britain it's like Obviously, it's it's bad over here as well. But people, there's there hasn't been like a ban of big well, did, meetings didn't, or anything. Didn't yet. Forrest basically just say, "We'll just wing meeting. it"? <laughs> yeah, it was basically a lot. A lot of people are going to lose loved ones in their family, but you know, like that's how that's going to be. And we're all sat watching TV, like, "Oh, okay, yeah, great, nice." <laughs> yes, not not the not the greatest response from uh, Boris. Somehow, over. no, definitely somehow not. Somehow, the U.S. is having a better response than that, and that's, that's yeah, that's a very uh, low bars we're talking about here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We very weird times. I know for my nephew, they starting yesterday and starting on Monday, this upcoming Monday, actually, they're like shutting down for four weeks. We don't know if that's anything set in stone, but they have like just a full month off. I know my sister has two weeks off, um, but I don't know if that's going to stay either. As for my workplace, they're, they're kind of starting to do uh, work from home in waves. So we'll see if I'm gonna be working from home soon. That's some. That's a situation I never imagined would happen, but it's it's kind of weird seeing that like how quickly a lot of institutions are like, okay, we can we can start experimenting with the idea of working from home because there's a big enough change in the world, a big enough push that every everyone is just kind of looking at each other and not slowly nodding like. It's fascinating. Like I wish it wasn't happening. It, it, yeah, it's it's, it's it's interesting to see. It's this weird, unprecedented thing that like we, you know, we don't know exactly what's going to happen. So it's all happening in real time, and it perhaps wasn't planned out the best. But we can kind of see what the response is going to be and how things will change going forward, and what will happen once once the panic is over. Like yeah. <laughs> Obviously, no one is ha happy that, like, you know, this ongoing pandemic it had to be the cause of it. No one is happy that, you know, of the current state of things. But it is interesting to see the state of te technology in the year 2020. Are we equipped enough to actually think forward because we were forced to? <laughs> you <Yeah>. know? <laughs> I mean, one thing that's interesting is with all of the, uh, like, nobody's going to be going to the movies, ports events are canceled. Ironically enough, the uh, sector we're in, video games, is probably one of the industry's best poised to deal with this because if you're stuck at home and you can't watch sports, what else are you going to do? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the, it seems like it's going to be on uh, weirdly on the rise because sports leagues have been you know, getting uh, shut down for the season left and, left and right. Uh, I, th I think the big one left that everyone's still kind of nodding their head over is like, is the Olympics this year going to happen or not? Yeah. They Probably meeting. not. I mean, considering yeah. how many travelers there are, I know it's yeah, a few months away yeah. yet, but... <laughs> I'd um, say even if things are supposedly under control by then, it's not like uh, most... I can only imagine that a bunch of athletes aren't going to be able to uh, practice as much as they would have previously, and so they might want it delayed just so there's more time for people to actually practice. 
Yeah, it's 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 weird for the Olympics too because a lot of it is, I imagine, very timely for these athletes. Like, I'm at my peak now. If I don't perform within this like time frame, I'm gonna lose that. There's, peak. there's also like the whole business side of thing, like all the advertising deals that are in place and yes. yeah, that, like, geez, like wow for all, for all of that. And that the, the Olympics is just one thing, but for all of these events that are being postponed or canceled. Um, and heck, I know people are even saying like they should release, you know, Animal Crossing early, and that's a totally different subject. But like, there's advertising deals in place for that too, and for like TV commercials and whatnot, and just like all this stuff. Like, there's a, a very com- interesting. I mean, that's just yeah. the commercial. That's just one aspect of the commercial side of things. But it, it just all this stuff is being wow. disrupted, <laughs> and it's it's weird. And as George said, fascinating. Obviously, for kind of a bad you know yeah not a reason no anybody likes but it's just of course i do love the idea that people think that nintendo can just like oh yeah we'll just release it early like it it doesn't really work like that they have to ship it to retailers and there's like a whole process there like it it, it does amaze me that people think that that's actually something that can happen it's not like with for example disney plus where they've made frozen available like a couple of weeks early that's that's all digital but i think they perhaps could release the digital really? version early if they uh, like yeah, I guess if, they, if they if they like wanted to like i, I don't know if it'd be I it guess, wouldn't be the first time it's happening yeah. there have been times where the digital version comes out before the physical version i actually know if someone made this point and it's like it feels like the most minor point but it i guess sensible apparently in animal crossing when when does the game come out the 20th yeah. next week yeah it's uh six days now um, apparently, like that's right after the spring season starts in game, and so they kind of want to time it up with that. <laughs> uh, they said in the direct as well. They said that when you when you play, it'll be just the start sprint or something like that. And I, I saw someone say like, "Well, they don't want to release it and have it be like winter for a day or two, and then have it change to spring right away." I'm like, I guess that makes sense. It's like a tiny little reason, but maybe. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of silly, but. Not without, yeah. not totally without merit, um, right? And yeah. I, I guess we'll we'll circle back around to this topic with more relevant topics. But I guess what one final thing that I I, I want to make note of, uh, I, I think James, you've probably seen this too uh, going around. It's like how much this has been also affecting like the fighting game community. Obviously, a lot of people, a oh, lot of events oh, have been yeah. getting like affected by this. But one particular one that stood out to me is like kind of the fragility of like especially smaller event. Um, events going on, especially in the fighting game community, where you have like tournaments like uh, NorCal Regionals, uh, CEO, and whatnot. Like all of their Michigan event organizers, yeah, Michigan Masters, like a lot of these hardworking event organizers, tournament organizers, like are kind of yeah. like at the make it or break it point because um, like... they, they can't voluntarily like yeah. cancel their events because they're, they actually have to wait for the city, the actual government and the governor to like make the call to cancel the event uh because somewhere I, for, I forget the exact uh clause in their insurance contracts but the insurance ins- insurance companies will not bail them out unless the they are um officially it's a mandate yeah no. it's a mandate by the city that they cancel it and, and, and uh, it's also it's also a double-edged sword here because like since a lot of people are canceling like preemptively and for good reason, they ha- they they absolutely should, and like they absolutely deserve their refunds and whatnot. It's like no one's really the quote unquote bad guy here or anything. It's nothing like that, 
but it, because they're facing so many cancellations that it might be difficult going forward if not just canceling all future events outright because it's just draining them of resources just yeah it's worth noting that for a lot of the like even the bigger like uh, tournaments in the fgc like the vast vast majority of tournaments are grassroots they're like mm -hmm. like even if there's a bunch of people competing well the people actually putting forth all that effort to get things going are just normal people and the margins for some of these events normally isn't an issue but when you have a bunch of people starting to cancel and it's unforeseen circumstances that legitimately might bankrupt some of these people that have yeah. been like huge staples of the fgc for years it's yeah and like for all the jokes that the fgc makes about net play being terrible like legitimately this is going to have a massive impact on the fighting game community for years like mm -hmm. years it's going to take a long time for things to uh recover from this and like even evo like there's a chance that evo gets canceled and that's the biggest one but even evo itself is even though it's corporate it still is kind of grassroots with the people that like push it forward yeah so it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a tough couple of years for the fgc after this and i'm not looking forward to seeing what happens yeah, it's going to be a thing to keep an eye on, uh, especially because I, I love seeing the FGC, uh, in, like, you know, grow and, like, see it move forward and see it in motion. It's, uh, fighting game tournaments are always some, one of the things that I like keeping an eye on. I'm just glad that there's still that FGC local on campus and whatnot. So, like, even if it'll be maybe paused for, like, a quarter, it'll still come back afterwards. So... Mm -hmm. At least there's that, but like the bigger tournaments, it's gonna be. Yeah, it's. Uh, I hope that CEO Taku is fine though, because I do know that. Um, uh, I think the TO for that like went on Twitter talking about the whole thing, and a bunch of people started like donating. Whatnot. Yeah, Alex Trebelli, the one who uh, organizes all the com community effort Orlando tournaments, uh, the like was really one of the first figures to really. Uh, big figures to really kind of shed light on the issue uh, and the ongoing struggle of tournament organizers. You know, a, a lot of people have spoken up on the issue. So hopefully, you know, the community pushes through and the organizers are able to still conduct business after this is over. You know, it, it, it's, it's going to be a tough thing to write out. And I wish them the best of luck. It's going to be very sad if those uh, events are no longer here. Th those are important like this it, it's also nice seeing like the passion behind it as well i remember going to see otaku i want to say two three years ago flew out to florida for that uh and it was amazing just simply amazing yeah and... fighting game events it's like there's nothing else really like it because mm -hmm. probably because of how grassroots it still is even for the large tournaments it's like like i haven't really been to many other like other esports situations but it, it the FGC really is a community and like mm -hmm. people really do try to support each other, even like if it's totally different games and whatnot. And it's, it, it'll really be a shame to see if uh, part of that dies because of this whole like pandemic and whatnot. Yeah. Well, we'll circle back out uh, around to this uh, in the news, but you know, as we were talking about earlier, uh, people are staying home. There's a lot of games now coming out. 
at this time of the year. Finally. Yeah. yeah. Adam, let's start with you. What have you been playing? Yeah, so the uh, one game I mentioned this in a previous podcast that I wanted to replay was Trials of Mana, uh, formerly known as Psychon Dinta 2-3. So if you're not familiar, this game is a Super Famicom game that is the third game in the Mana series. And it, uh, several years ago now, it had one of the very first kind of popular fan translations available. And uh, many people, actually, pretty much if you spoke English, that's the way you played the game, was through this fan translation. Um, but uh, Nintendo and Square Enix recently, or recently, last summer, they released the collection of Mana, and they translated this game for the first time officially, which was a very cool thing to see. And uh, I had played it before, but I wanted to replay it just to kind of refresh my memory about uh, the storyline, the mechanics, uh, how it worked and how it played and things like that before the remake comes out in April. And the, you know, the remake I'm actually is something I'm really excited for. I'm probably actually more excited for it than like the Final Fantasy VII remake, to be honest. Um, but I just wanted to kind of refresh myself going in, kind of like Brian talked about in a previous podcast about kind of he was replaying Final Fantasy VII for the same reason. Uh, so I've been playing Trials of Mana. First of all, has anyone else here played it? Oh, I've played it a lot of times. It's no, uh, I've, I've what are my favorite? I've got Collection of Mana, and I've been meaning to get to get around to playing that, but not quite yet. Yeah, the so uh, looks really cool, who's your party right now? Under this yeah. Group? So again, for people who don't know, uh, so Trials of Mana, as it's now known, you have six characters that you can play as, and each has their own like starting point for their story. So you pick, you literally just pick a character, one of the six that is going to be your main character. And the, the, the story starts from their perspective and it's different for each one. And they start at like a different point on the map, if you will. And then you get to pick and you, you pick right away, which other two characters from the, from the cast want to be your sidekicks. And when you're playing the game, you can actually basically switch between all three characters evenly but you have that freedom to basically choose who your party is going to be. And it's who you pick, join your team, and who you don't pick, don't join your team. So it's your, what I'm getting at is your, your gameplay style could be pretty different depending on who you pick and who you don't pick. So I picked, I should also mention, when I played this game last time, I played as Kevin, who is like the werewolf. Uh, I don't exactly remember who I had with him. But the storyline eventually branches into three different kind of plots based on who you pick. And so I had played one of the storylines who was Kevin's and I think Charlotte's. It lines up with his as well. Yeah. So, so I wanted to pick... I, one reason why I wanted to replay it was kind of pick a different storyline this time. So I picked Duran's storyline who I think lines up with Angela's. Um, yes. they, kind of, they kind of pair up. So there's three different storylines for the six characters. So I picked Duran as my main character. He's like the warrior guy. The gladiator type. And then I picked Angela uh, and... Uh, Kevin as my other two characters and Duran and Kevin are basically your your physical DPS type attackers where Angela is sort of your your offensive mage so I'm kind of running like a DPS team I don't really have any healing or buff capabilities not a lot of them so I pretty much my this time through the game I'm basically playing DPS and heal with items is basically the strategy hell Um, yeah and so like this game is an early Super Famicom action RPG, so there's nothing f- super fancy about its mechanics or anything like that. But it's, it's, it's played in real time, and you have your characters, basically, you're moving them on, on the screen, and you can attack in real time um, with just a simple attack and a, and a powered-up attack once you 
race. It was ahead enough. of its time. It yeah, it's out. ahead of its time. It's uh, what I'm what I'm getting at is like it's nothing super fancy or special compared to like modern action yeah. 2D games. But compared, considering this game came out in like 1994, let me look. That sounds right. I want to say 96. 95. Yeah. We'll we'll meet in the middle. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. The original game was 1995. Uh, It's it's somewhat simplistic, but it is an action system. Now, I do think um, this is a place where the remake has a lot of potential to improve on it. Uh, There are various quirks to the combat that... Are pretty annoying to be honest for example angela if you're not playing as angela she will never cast magic on her own she will always just attack with her staff and mm. that's she's not very good at that like it, she does no. no damage so you basically have to pause the game for c- command her to to cast magic and when you when you pause the game to command her to cast magic you pause the game then and then when she actually casts the magic you know a few moments later it pauses the game again uh, so it's it, it if you have Angela on your team, you kind of have to do. You're doing all this pausing, and it, it, you kind of get used to it, but it is a bit tedious. And actually, if, uh, people have played D and D Dungeon Mastar or something like that. Mystic Mastar, like every time that that beaten up had you casting a spell, it would freeze the whole screen and all the action on it. It was very invasive. It's like it's definitely like that, but in or, an action RPG setting that's or, or like uh, Tales of Fantasia was another one yes. that did that whenever whenever uh, Cloud, Klaus that his name cast his magic or whatever his gnome his summons it just paused it every time it was just sort of a quirk you got used to back then but um, I remember when I did the demo at E3 this last year that was actually like the very first thing they mentioned to me like they knew this is something they had to change it's like by the way when Angela casts magic the game will not stop and I'm just like thank you <laughs> Um, by Chronicles of Mistar, that was my bad on that oh, yeah. title. Yeah. Uh, so it'll be weird because uh, the this remake of Trials uh, of Mato will actually have like systems that were like fundamentally broken on yeah. the original release that, that like could never get fixed. Obviously, games th- back then, especially Famicom games, couldn't get patched. So I, it was I th- always I th- broken. So like the, I think the luck stack didn't work. Yes, so the luck stack. The luck stack, I believe, did nothing. And so that made characters like Hawkeye. I may believe he had his like various techniques that relied on it for, mm-hmm. for some of his upgrades just didn't they would always be Do just anything. the minimal yeah. because it was permanently broken. <laughs> yes. Um, so and also just the remake itself, uh, Square Enix released a trailer as well as an overview of a lot of like the the skill systems and combat systems in the game. So in the original Trials of Mana you have like a couple of different texts that you get based on what class you turn into, and that's about it. But um, the new game, the remake, has various different active texts as well as passive texts um, that you that you set up, uh, skills that you set up, and it just seems to be a lot more involved. So that, I think, shows a lot of promise in involving the mechanics of the game. But one thing about the original game that I'm actually replaying it, I'm pretty fond of, is that it is a fairly open-ended game. Mm-hmm. And that makes sense considering you can basically start as six different characters from six different spots in a way. Um, generally, the opening sections kind of do eventually converge to start the storyline, but you are starting in different places. And ultimately, your goal in the game is to collect the, the summon spirits, uh, kind of a very classic storyline in a classic JRPG. But the thing is, you don't a lot of them you don't have to collect in a specific order. It just depends on which direction you go. And there are little, like, scenarios that happen in different places of the game 
that you can do in either order, just depending on what you do first and what you do second. And so it's a little, it's open-ended like that, which I'm really appreciative of. Like, for example, when you go to, like, the wind area, uh, you, you go to Laurent Castle. I believe it's called, it's either Laurent or Roland. I forget which is the official name and which is the, the translation, fan translation name. I get it mixed up. Um, yeah, same here. <laughs> they they changed some it's, of the names it's, it's, from the classic. Same thing with the job classes, too. Like, I, I don't remember which one's, like, the fan translated, which yeah. is the official. It's exactly. Uh, I, I have some of the names in my head, but I'm like, I don't remember which is which. And anyways, like that's that's where uh, uh, Reese or Lees, again, one of the characters. Uh, it's Reese is the official. Yeah. I remember it's with R. Yes. Yeah. is like the princess of this sort of Amazon wind kingdom, and they're close to the wind spirit. And so like you can go there and do that scenario, and they're being attacked from the, uh, the uh, thief kingdom that uh, Hawkeye is from. And like there, that's where Belladonna, the sorceress, comes into play. And there's various villains in the game, but you can also go in a different direction and go to like uh, the Beast Kingdom, or you can go to like the Gnome Village or the Dwarf Village, and that's where the Gnome scenario kicks in. So it's a little bit open-ended and it has these sort of segmented scenarios that you can do in different orders. There, there are a few things that you have to do before, you know, the later things. Like for example, once you get a once you get three summon spirits, I believe that's when the like, ghost ship scenario basically will happen. Oh, yeah. So th- there are a few things that happen in a certain order that you have to do later, and then when when you get access to like your your uh, your boat, and in this game your boat to, to control the world map is a turtle, and it's awesome, uh, giant turtle. It's really good. Yes, I love the turtle. But at that <laughs> point, at that point, you have to get four more summon spirits. Or they're not really summon spirits. You don't summon them, but they give Angela more magic. And then at that point, once again, you can kind of go to any four in order, I believe. It's just kind of open to you that way. So I think that's really cool how that game is kind of structured in this kind of open, uh, open-ended open setting. So with yeah, that... a lot of freedom. Right. With that, as well as improvements on the combat that I think the the uh, the uh, remake can do, like I'm, I'm kind of excited for the potential there to what this game could be. It, the game doesn't seem to have like the greatest production values in terms of like cinematics. Um, the character, from what I've seen in the trailers of the remake, the character movements are a little bit robotic. Uh, the voice acting, English voice acting, seems kind of iffy. But in terms of like the game and the mechanics side of things, I think it could be. I think it, could, it has a lot of potential. I mean, it, it has also... more potential than what the they did to Secret of Mana remake. Yeah, um, they, they they did that dirty. I'll give them. I'll, I actually I have an interview that. on our site when I interviewed the dev team at E3 last year, and they basically got that feedback from Secret of Mana, and yeah, they 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 wanted to release Trials of Mana, especially because it had never been released in in English officially. But at that point, they sort of internalized it. What they told me, they internalized it and basically said, "We can't just do this for this game. We can't just do this cheap." It would be remake. tragic if they did it for yeah. this. I mean, I mean, it's kind of tragic they did it for Secret of Mana. But yeah, if this is what it took to get here, then maybe, maybe <laughs> I don't know. I feel mixed about it. But I love Trials. I love Trials. Yeah, I I think Trials of Mana is is it's. It's one of the it's it's for, when people say what their favorite game in the series is, a lot of people like Secret of Mana um, because it was just a really popular Super Super Nintendo game. Yeah, and Trials of Mana obviously never getting an official release in English hurts it, but it, it pretty much just improves on it, I believe, in pretty much every it's, way. It's my out of them. Uh, Legend of Mana on PlayStation is mm. a very different sort of game, uh, and to be honest, its combat system kind of sucks. But the way that game is set up, 
is also very interesting and cool. The way it has its like three, it also has three interwoving storylines. But the way you like set up, I forget what they're called, but you like set up places on the map, and you kind of build it yourself, and you go to these different places, and there's the different scenarios sort of progress as you build the map and go to these different areas that you can that you can go into. Um, has a great art style. That game has a great soundtrack. It's probably, in my opinion, Shimamura's best. Not not Kingdom Hearts, not Final Fantasy XV. It's Legend of Mana. That's her best stuff. Um, anyways, so Trials of there, Mana. Do you want? Did you want to say something about it? There, there is something poetic about both Final Fantasy VII and Trials of Mana remakes coming out in the the same month, because yeah. both of them back in the day in the original releases. We're both like milestones, like technological milestones. Like these are the yes. games that really pushed their native hardware forward, and th- that's part of their like, like legacy. Mm-hmm. And it, it's kind, it's kind of interesting to see them both coming back at around the same time frame and seeing what kind of decisions uh, both of these development teams made to uh, modernize them. And put, try to push the envelope forward in different ways. And trials, or the original Trials of Mana cool. has a really cool sprite style too. Like I, I love oh, sprites. I love yeah. So I mean, it's maybe a bummer that the remake, the models, you know, they seem kind of simple, simpler models. You know, this isn't like the Final Fantasy VII remake we're talking about. But I also think it sort of fits that art style. I don't know what you call it. It's sort of like this sort of stylized anime, kind of almost like an older school sort of anime type art style. Um, and I, I, I think the, the models that they have for the remake of Trials of Mana um, are suitable. We'll yeah. see. It, it, it fits the, the spirit of the game. You yeah. know? I wouldn't want them to go like Real, super, super realistic. Super hyper-realistic. Yeah. yeah. I actually, I, I, I actually uh, another thing I asked them in the, in the interview was like, what do they think of when they think of Mana? And one of the words they said was literally kawaii. Uh, obviously, speaking with Japanese people, yeah. uh, cute. Like they, they kind of consider this series to have a cute art style, and so they wanted mm-hmm. to translate that over. Um, and we'll see how it is. I mean, hopefully the remake doesn't suck. It could, but I, I just think there is a lot of potential there with, the, with the game structure as it is in the original release, and if they can improve the combat mechanics, we'll see. Uh, one last thing to talk about. So the localization for the new game, or the for Trials of Mana, it's a new localization for an old game. Yeah. It's it's a brand new localization. So it was done like you know this year or last year, whenever they did it. Um, there are a couple of uh, decisions they made that I'm not exactly a fan of. Uh, you, if you've been following this game, you probably know how Charlotte speaks. I'm just like not huge on that. Uh, it's you, it's very it's like you know for people who haven't heard it, it's very kind of like. Ch- childlike kind of imitating yeah. like a childlike uh, sort of baby talk basically um, yeah and so like every r or l is replaced with a w and it's like i grew up without no parents <laughs> and apparently the voice acting like sounds like that too and it's just like Ugh. <laughs> so, so that aside well I think they probably could have gotten away with having this character maybe having like a word or two that they would say occasionally maybe being like slightly different to to indicate that they speak with a little bit of a lisp or something. Um, like I remember that sometimes you'll have games where characters will say all white instead of all right. And you can, you, you can just have like a couple of these words here and there to maybe just indicate to the player this is a text game and like, oh, so this character has a little bit of a lisp. But this character, Charlotte, 
has it like every other word it feels like and it's just overdone i feel like they could have gotten the same effect across just having it being a few words every several lines or so not every other word anyways that aside the 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 writing in this game even though it's an a new localization is very terse it's very efficient and how it's said, mm-hmm. and how the storyline plays out. And it's just sort of the part of the charm of these older games where there's not huge exposition dumps um, or anything like that, like some modern Japanese games especially sometimes run into. But it's, it's just kind of like you when you when you like figure out where you need to go, you might have some character say like three or four lines to you, like, hey, we are having this problem and we need to do this. Can you help us? Sure. And that's about it. <laughs> and I kind of like that. It's very, to, yeah, it's very to the point. It's not like, yes. oh, well, you know back like five years ago when i met so and so and it's like and, okay dude and it, and there's there's not a whole bunch of like character interaction either it's, it's all very efficient in terms of like we only can say this many words we need to we need to clue in on the player on what they need to do it's also because like they did that because of the technological limitations well, that, too, like yes. about character limits and yep and, and secret amana the the original translation for that was notorious for this i would assume with modern tech they could probably work around it a little bit with trials of mana and maybe they did i actually think they had to the technology side of it they had to expand memory in order to get the uh the english text in there but it's still just even regardless of that it's a very tersely said game very efficiently said in terms of Mm -hmm. like the storyline of things so if the remake kind of keeps that tone i wonder if people will be put off by it or if people will embrace it it may not i'm not even i'm not sure but it's it's not like a. I wouldn't say it's not a story-driven game. It's just not like it's. It's, it's not. Very, it's very old it's, school, right? It's like not drowning in dialogue, or... right? So, yeah. it's 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 just very efficient in how it's told. So that's one thing I'm curious about how the trans how the remake's gonna how how the remake's gonna handle that. Is there's gonna be a lot more dialogue, a lot more embellishment on on all the character actions and things like that. Um, we'll see. Uh, yeah, uh, the, they might like do. Oh, I don't know. I'd, I'd feel weird if they tried to do like the FF7 remake. Uh, yeah, <laughs> like, hey, we're gonna like have you like visit Jesse's parents, and have dinner with them. It's like, oh man, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I signed up for that. For, uh, for the record, I just looked up the uh, voice acting for that character, uh, Charlotte, and that is gonna be hard to listen to um that, luckily, I, I, for you, like, luckily for this game you don't have to pick charlotte you pick anyone else thank god because that is that is a that's a egregious yeah and so and I, i'm usually a fan of just trying out the english dubs and if you know i i only switch to japanese i really don't like it and in this case especially as charlotte i might but i think i might actually just stick with the same team that i'm using now in the original game just to sort of get a direct comparison of how this is how the team worked in my in the classic version this is how the team works in the uh in the remake so we'll see all right before switching over i guess uh brian has joined us hi brian how are you hello everything's good everything sounds fantastic you sound better now finally the robots have released them (laughs) (laughs) yeah all right uh... well i mean you came in at a great time i mean we're just going through the games that we're playing Brian, what have you been playing? All right. So last week on the podcast, I talked about how I had started Final Fantasy VII because the original on PC, because I wanted to have that baseline for comparing to the remake. 
And my yep, and I was plan, just talking about that with Trazamana too. So oh yeah, and my original plan was to just go through Midgar and stop, but uh, let's just say that didn't happen. Um, I got through Midgar. That was about six hours. Oh, oh, I'm like, you know, okay, great. Go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say like, how how long did that take you? And did, did you like, did that shock you like how fast you got through it? Uh, so I was pretty because um, I I had heard like people who take the extremes I'm like you can blitz through midgar in three hours how, how, how do they make a game out of this I'm like yeah that's probably true but when i'm playing through like a normal pace uh without purposely trying to go fast or like dilly dally in the train graveyard or whatever it took me six hours um and then i was originally planning to stop but i just i didn't long story short uh, mm -hmm. so I'm pretty much right near the end of the game now, and I'm being pretty completionist because the last time I played it, I kind of, as soon as I got to the Northern Crater near the end, uh, I just went ahead and finished the game up. I didn't do any side stuff or any, and this time I'm like, you know what, let me just do it all. Why not? Um, and in Alex's preview for the remake, uh, that he put up a couple weeks ago, he mentioned like Midgar was a quarter to a third of the original game. And I think that's being pretty generous. It's probably yeah, that's like, not really true. Yeah. I was like... <laughs> I don't know about quarter, third, even that. That's it. Seems way too short for right. So the scope uh, of the game. yeah. So I've been doing side quests and stuff, and I'm at the point where I like have. I'm trying to make sure my party is ready to take on some of the optional bosses at the end, and I'm at pretty much a 50 hour mark. So six out of 50. There you oh. go. Now, if I was not doing side quests, you could say maybe it would have been six out of 40 or 35 if I was really booking it. But you know, at best, it's going to be like a six. Or something of the game, but the thing is, well, you, you know, heard it I, here, folks. Final Fantasy remake is going to be Final Fantasy seven remake is going to be six parts. Well, I think right. you, I, I know you're being, I, yeah, I know you're being uh, um, glib, but like when you look at like uh, how this isn't quite a perfect analogy, but if you're looking at how a book adaptation to a movie, you can't just say, well, here's how long it takes to cover events in a given chapter. Therefore, any adaptation of a book is going to be a nine hour movie because, you know, obviously it doesn't work like that. So there are parts that are going to be um, obviously truncated or maybe combined or completely omitted uh, w without going specific into story details, especially since they are uh, not going to even be relevant to the remake itself. I did find that like the second half of the first disc is really kind of loose. It's basically a very, you know, thin, bare ex uh, excuse to just go through the world map. It basically just says you're basically just chasing Sephiroth. And it's like, go to this city and this city and this city. And it's a bunch of kind of almost self-contained little uh, character stories, which is cool. And I think it works well, but uh, it's just interesting because it's not like Midgar at the start, which is kind of, you know, railroaded, you know, event to event to event, or like the later disc of the game where it's more of the same. It's like that back half of that first disc, I think feels pretty unique. So what I'm getting at is part two. Let's not go. Let's not look beyond part two. I wonder how they're gonna have to shape it so that is it gonna still feel the same way where it feels like little character stories, or is it gonna be shifted? And obviously, there's really almost no point speculating on it because it's gonna be completely different. Um, but that's my general opinion of it. Uh, I'm pretty much right at the end. I'll probably wrap up uh, just within the next couple hours because I'll just beat the, the couple uh, optional bosses and then. And then just you know go go to the credits. But so I've enjoyed it. Like the, go ahead. Do you think the final part of the remake, like say Final Fantasy VII remake part, whatever, do you think that final part should be just do the optional quest and the final boss, and then there's your whole episode or part <laughs> right there? Uh, I'm guessing. 
if I would if if I were to guess how they would frame the last section of the remake, whether it's five or fifteen, it's going to be based around the um the weapons that are released uh, near the end mm. of the game, based because of the story events. Um, now some of those weapons are in the original game, uh, cutscene only. Some of them are storyline required, and some of them are optional. So it's kind of interesting. But I feel like if they're going to inc- implement them, they're all going to have to be more even keeled. But that's just my guess. Obviously, we might we might get to the end of remake part one, and we will already see, like because it's going to be such a long reimagining. Any tiny shift, you know, it's like ripples in a in a pool. Any tiny shift made in part one could be make the part five hugely disparate. So who knows? But my hunch is that it's going to be based around weapons. As you are going through the game now, do you and you have you know obviously your memory's all good on it now. Do you like? Did you like make a mental like, oh, there's a clean break right here. I can see them like cutting off the next part right here, and the next part starts here. Like, uh, did, kind did of. Any... What, okay. Yeah. What I was looking at is, all right, if if this game is, if this remake is going to be four parts, five parts, three parts, who knows? Where would the climaxes be? Like, where would the big, you know, final? Where 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 would they? Not like where would they end, but where would they peak? Each of them near the end. And like, mm-hmm. obviously, I don't want to really detail through too much of the story, but I identified right. like maybe seven or eight places where that could possibly be. Oh. So it's like if they wanted to, they they could they could amp this section up. It's only like a chapter boss in the original game, but they could amp this up to be like some sort of final encounter if they wanted to. Uh, one of the obvious ones, I think, would be diamond weapon, diamond weapon stomping towards the city of Midgar uh, in Late Disc 2. That would be like the second to last part, maybe. But, you know, who knows? Uh, another one would be earlier where Sapphire Weapon is uh, uh, first awakened. Uh, but that might contradict my idea about the weapons being kind of tethered together into a single chapter. So who really knows? Because And then obviously my idea of pacing is also a little bit off because I'll be like, all right, time to spend five hours chocobo racing here, which might not be. <laughs> which might well, not that's be the, uh, they're going to make the chocobo racing spinoff. Uh, well, there, remake. There, it is the, the thing is is one thing the Final Fantasy 7 kind of does this weird flip flop between serious and silly pretty pretty damn often like for yes. instance near the end of the first disc where you're trying to get to the Temple of the Ancients you need the Keystone which is like alright Temple of the Ancients you're talking about a bunch of big important events I'm not going to get into detail but in order to get into there you got a chocobo race because the guy at the golden saucer has it. Hell yeah. It. So so it's like, oh no, we gotta we gotta you know prevent we gotta save the planet with this you know we have to go to this ancient location that people haven't been to in a while. How do we get there? Well, Cloud's got to get first in a race at the golden saucer. That's how we get there. So it's like, uh, okay, it's gonna be that weird uh, juxtaposition of serious and silly, which lots of studios have kind of done that. Uh, with success so i don't think it's off the table but i do hope that we do see at least in the remake of part one the game allows itself to be silly and wacky and whimsical and i think we will but we'll see hmm. i'm trying to think what 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 would the remake's rendition of chocobo racing look like we get like hd chocobo drifting around corners <laughs> oh. probably like how it was in final fantasy 15 i forgot how it worked that... in final fantasy 15 yeah, it, well, it it was just just like how you'd imagine it, really. Okay, I I needed to be more intense, more like a so, like a ridge I think racer. Drift. Like it has but, been a while since Final Fantasy Fifteen. I mean, like, there, are, there are a bunch of silly mid mini games in that Golden Saucer area. Like, are they gonna are they gonna implement that basketball hoop shooting mini game? Which all it is is a Ooh. timing 
it's all it is is a timing game on your controller. Hold the hold the action I mean, button for half a second. I mean, you can still drift the board and you're automata. I'm pretty sure you could have Chocobo drifting in Final Fantasy VII Remake Part whatever. And then obviously there's snowboarding and there's uh you can go once you're in the golden saucer you can redo like the motorcycle sequence. Uh, bring you, you bring back do... the Final Fantasy X style Chocobo race quote uh, race. Yeah, I want everyone's final weapon. <laughs> I want everyone's final weapon to be hidden behind a, a mini game in the Golden Saucer. Yeah, uh, you know what? You know what? No, let's just let's just make. Uh, there's there's just going to be a spinoff of the remake that's just Golden Saucer. That's, that's, I said Golden that Saucer. basically. Oh, <laughs> but you know what? I would I would get that. There was like a DLC add-on or something, and they're like, "Hey, I got I got to see how this is." Every, everyone would get it. We could yeah. take we could take the yeah. mic, but everyone would buy it. Like, yeah. Right. But to put the real to put real this all back in, I'm near the end. I put 50 hours into it. Like I said, uh, I didn't really mod it. Like I said last week, I didn't care that it looks like a game from the late 90s because that's what it is. So uh, and I've enjoyed it. You kind of acclimate whenever I'm playing a game that's five years old, 10 years old, 20 years old. I kind of acclimate to how it's presenting itself. And it, at, after like a point, you don't think outwardly about how it looks or how it plays. Uh, well, I mean, you, you do, but not not in terms of. Uh, assigning a year or a date to it. At least I don't. So, I don't either. Uh, Same. And then I'm I'm usually pretty easy to like flip a switch. Like I was playing Final Fantasy VII last night, and then I a friend wanted to jump into Monster Hunter World. So all of a sudden I'm playing in like modern graphics, 4K HDR, and like uh, to me I don't see that as jarring. And then I'll I finished up that session and go back to Final Fantasy VII. Uh, I still think it's a really good game. Uh, I'm glad I played I played back through it, and uh, I it does I don't think it's changed my excitement. It's made me more excited for the remake. There you go. Has it changed your favorite characters this time around? Uh, I feel a lot more uh, positive towards Red 13. Even though I think late in the game, he doesn't have a lot of story focus. Though um, there is some optional stuff. And then I, I kind of feel less positive on... This is a character that won't even make an appearance in the remake. But Vincent... So there's two optional mm-hmm. characters in the original game, Yuffie and Vincent. Uh, Yuffie, you kind of can get pretty early, and she has a side quest kind of wrapped around her village. So she feels pretty well integrated. But Vincent, you get later, you get a couple cutscenes, you get like one optional event, and that's it. Like he's pretty much just uh, on the sidelines the whole game for the most part. So there's really not a lot going on with Vincent. Obviously, in the expanded universe stuff, that changes but in that's why you play dare to cerebus no i got a confession but... last night i was watching the opening movie of dirge of cerberus just randomly i'm like what was what this game look like again and there's like i didn't i didn't realize it took like nine minutes of cg cutscenes till you actually started controlling the game mm-hmm. i it was weird that game has a lot of that was a that felt like a high budget ps2 game like at least for oh, the yeah. cinematics Maybe gameplay not so much, but for the cinematics, it has a ton of them. I couldn't tell if the player, like, if the save points, you had to shoot the save points to to like save the game, or if I, if I that was just like how the video was. I couldn't I don't tell. Remember. Man, oh, was... I saw someone sharing like some character uh, model renders for the PS2 game, like the the antagonist of that game. And I don't recognize any of their names or any of their like outfit. I don't recognize like my memory from that game is just like completely gone. So I played it once in like 2009 or something like that, and or when it, like uh, two years after it came out or whenever. Um, yeah, I think uh, I, I don't even remember how like old it is, but, but basically I don't I don't remember a, a single thing. 
about that game. I don't remember when it takes place, who the antagonist is, what the conflict is. So hopefully none of that matters. Hopefully that's just hopefully that's just <laughs> but, but we'll see. I'm sorry, but this is Kingdom Hearts, Brian. Okay, if you don't if you didn't fucking uh, no. play <laughs> if you didn't if you didn't play that stupid cloud on a motorcycle mobile mobile game, you're gonna you're not gonna understand any of it. Hmm. All right. Is that it, Brian? Yeah, that's it. Final Fantasy VII, still a good game, even in its original mm -hmm. form. You should play it. There you go. Cool. All right, George, what have you been up to? Uh, so I've decided to have a really uh, self-hating weekend. I've decided to play two mm -hmm. very difficult games, uh, completely different genres. Yes. Um, Neo 2, which I just started today and is absolutely fantastic. And oh, the first yeah. Ori game on Switch, which is also fantastic. And I can't believe it's taken me this long to even play it like it's it's exactly my kind of game um it's, it's a shame that i chose to play it so late into the week though because i'm just not going to get a chance to finish it until like way after animal crossing now because i, I want to finish neo 2 as quickly as possible mm -hmm. um, well, and that's not going to be a short game well the original worry is actually pretty so i'd say it might be a good idea to make rush through the rest since you can kind of get that done like in probably an afternoon if you've already played like a couple of hours yeah i'm a few hours into it um the the, the thing is the thing that bothers me is that i'm i'm like totally in love with the game and i'm gonna finish it and be like well that was amazing and then i know just out there in the world is the sequel on <laughs> a complete different console that i can't play that is apparently even better and it's just like I imagine that'll come to Switch in a. Eventually. Well, that was my, my thought, but I, I was looking into it because I was like, "Oh, well, I'm not, I'm not going to go out and buy an Xbox for it." Um, and I, yeah, I use a PC? little Chromebook for all my oh. PC stuff, so I'm, I'm like completely a console player, and it's mm -hmm. apparently there are just no plans for it at the moment. So, God knows. Yeah, well, hopefully it'll come sooner than later. But uh, yeah, Ori one well. still, still a pretty good game. It's been a long while since I played the first Ori, uh, but. The, uh, there was something that didn't click. There was something that didn't click with me in the first game that yes, most put into the sequel, because for for me in the in the structure of the first game felt too sectioned off. It felt like we were just going from like this weird little experimental zone to experimental zone. With like it, it felt like it didn't mesh all together. It it felt good, but it, it kind of felt um, isolated in a weird way, and that kind of bummed me out. I do know. But, I do know what you mean. Um, yeah, because that's. I, I think that's what stopped me the other night. Because um, obviously, I've only got Neo two today, so I've had mm -hmm. time to play it. It's just I. I, I stopped myself um, because there are times when you're just trying to get back to a certain place, and it just it feels like a chore, and it shouldn't because like when when you're in when you're in an area and you know what you're supposed to be doing, it's it's like perfect. Like the the platforming is so so good. Like it's so smooth. And that that bit of the game is really good, but the whole oh, so I need to get here, but like I'm not really sure of the the way to get there, and then you just end up searching around for ages. I mean, that might just be me doing it wrong. I I, I might just be being an idiot about it, but it's it's okay. I, I feel the same way whether it's or one or two. Like there, yeah. there'll be something in front of me, like I feel like a total fucking idiot right now. Yeah, I yeah. Don't get it. <laughs> I'll, I'll definitely admit that, like, one of the problems that both Ori One and Two has is that they're beautiful, beautiful games. Like any like area, you could take a screenshot. And it's like, okay, this is a fantastic wallpaper. Problem is, is that so many of those areas, because of how visually dense they are, 
there's quite a few areas where it's actually at first glance it might be a bit hard to read where you're supposed to go mm -hmm. yeah i'd say that it's only a few sections it's only a few sections most of the game is fine but it does happen occasionally where it's like okay what the hell do i do like that wall so i can intricate. actually jump onto yeah yeah where is my character actually positioned like relative to the scenery Right, and I guess we'll jump into it because uh, James and I also have been playing uh, Ori in the Will of the Wisps. And we're sorry before. in advance, George, but I, I think both Josh and I are on the same page here that Ori 2, besides some technical issues that will hopefully be patched up in the coming weeks, it's better than the first game. It, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a glow up. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, it's it's way better. But but there is there is something like I wanted to bounce off of like the when you were talking about. Uh, the scenery being so beautiful that sometimes you kind of miss that there are important parts about it. Like there is, I, I won't, I'll be very vague about this, but there's this uh, part in Ori 2 where it's kind of like a, a weird stealth section. There's this big creature in the background. Oh, I get what you're you. talking about. And uh, th there are uh, places where you can like hide yourself in to like avoid detection and wait for it to like look the other way and move to the next uh, point. But there are points in it where there's like you there, there's like a little tiny scrap like say on a pole or something that like that's the point that you're supposed, you're supposed to get to but you just it just doesn't click with you immediately because you just it just kind of goes over it's like oh that tiny scrap is important to, to move forward like, you know, exactly what you're talking about i i it did take me like a a moment to figure that out but actually i think i've really enjoyed that because yeah, that was, it, was it only right. took me yeah. like it only took me like two or three shots for me to realize oh, and then once I did, it was like that's actually a really neat way of mm -hmm. having the environment. Yeah, like and it's like the only section in the game where the background layers kind of does something like that. So it's really neat that they actually did something with that, even if it was only once. Yeah, the, George, are you finding it um, difficult on the Switch screen to like play? Because I know Ori is a tiny little animal kind of exploring like a vast like landscape at any time do you find it difficult to play like if you're playing it on handheld mode well the, it was quite surprising because I, I don't tend to I, i'm one of the people who don't really use the switch as a handheld i mm. I, I prefer it on the uh, to be on the big screen but i have tried to play it in handheld you know just like oh i should be going to bed but i could just slide the switch out and just play games in bed for a bit and i didn't actually struggle um okay. They've they've done a very good and it looks incredible in handheld right. mode as well. Um, I, I I figured that that would be an issue, but luckily not so far. Has has the, the analog stick? I forgot if you can to control it with D, the Switch's D pad, but has any of the movement options felt weird to you? Because I know the game's designed around an analog stick. Yeah, but, a D pad. So sometimes I do play with a D pad though. Uh, but but I know like the. There's a thinness to the Switch's analog stick that bothers me at times. I wonder if that's if there's been any issue with that on your end. Well, I, I've always found that uh, unless I'm like, unless I've detached the Switch controllers, to so say that this is a completely different type of game. But when mm -hmm. I'm playing something like Just Dance, which don't make fun of me that I play Just Dance because it's, hey, it's a good workout. It's yeah. a good workout. Um, I feel like the the buttons are way too small there. But when they're attached to the Switch, I I, I feel like they're fine. Uh, okay. That doesn't make sense, but uh, I haven't had any issues control-wise there either. Nice, nice. I, I think the thing that really um, sticks out with me with Ori 2, sorry, uh, George. This hurts but, so much. You know, <laughs> I'm in you the know, same boat as George. I've played the first game and I want to play the second, but just haven't like, gotten around to it yet. 
there there is a, a vibrance to the and like a lifeness to the to the second one that like I feel like I'm never really alone and and too distraught when I'm uh, exploring the environments. Obviously, the map map is much bigger. You have this uh, like this home area now, and like there's weird things that you can do about. It. There's like town building in the game where you could, like can just collect these uh, ore, these resources to have this dude like say, hey, go carve out a cave entrance there or uh, go build houses for these creatures there, you know? And there's there's something gratifying about that that is missing in the in the first game because in the first game, I felt more at the mercy of, like, where the, where the game was taking me more than, like, hey, I'm trying to do this for a greater cause. You yeah. Know? So, I guess well, what I've heard is, it compared is... to is um, the first game is a lot like a, a Metroid game in terms of you're isolated, there really is no... A, there really is no significant NPC interaction. And then the second game I've heard compared more to like Hollow Knight, which in itself is tethered to like a, a Souls game in terms of where you kind of have a home base. You'll, have, you'll find creatures that will like return back to it and hang around. So that, that's the two compare. That's how I've heard the game kind of shifts its focus a bit. And I enjoy both, so I don't have a preference. But I do like you running into, and I haven't played Ori 2, so maybe this is my perception being off. But I do like where you run into like an NPC. You might help them like get out of a bind and then they'll hang around your the, the little like home base or whatever and they'll might give you some tips or some lore or however they're integrated in that way i enjoy that i will, say, been... no, I will say something about ori 2 and i'm not sure if uh, josh feels the same way uh, have you played hollow knight josh no i've only seen it bits and pieces here and there but i haven't really played hollow knight i, I do want to but just haven't okay haven't found the time to it is very obvious that the uh, developer Ori 2 played a bunch of Hollow Knight because That's there's like there's way too many things in Ori 2 that seem directly like analog Inspired. to uh yeah to stuff that's in Hollow Knight. Like in Hollow Knight you had the charm system where you could get additional like abilities and stuff that but you had to like get like charm slots and then you slot them in. And there's a similar thing in Ori 2 with shards that gives you like short little, like small little buffs and abilities and whatnot. I feel like it wasn't that in the first game. I'm trying to remember. No, it wasn't. You had uh, no. skill points. So you had a skill tree. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Maybe just interface also, kind like, of similar. Yeah. And then like, even like the combat seems more similar to Hollow Knight than the first game because the first no, game was... combat was definitely the weak point i'd yes. say uh, I and say the so combat too. there's a much higher emphasis on combat in ori 2 and thankfully it does, the, it's they, thankfully it doesn't like overshadow the game it's still very much about platforming and and tricky like you know platforming puzzles like the the, the enhancements to combat don't necessarily overshadow it which is uh you know uh, which i like because i wouldn't want the game to be super combat combat focused yeah, but yeah, you have actual boss fights now instead of just escape sequences. Though most bosses will actually implement like both. Mm -hmm. um, it's really good. I really enjoyed the combat this time around. And I think part of the reason I wasn't a huge fan of the first story, even though I did enjoy it, was probably because the combat was really, really dull. And I do mm -hmm. think that, I, honestly, I think a lot of the level design and the puzzles are, and whatnot are a lot more creative in this one too. Yes. But like even the combat is just 
so much better. It's it like, feels good. It's very again, snappy, responsive. There's like there's even like a juggle I'm so system. Sorry, to George. <laughs> We're talking about how much like the sequel is much better, and it's like oh, uh, it it's it's just it's just like you know when you play a game and you get that feeling, you're like this matches me perfectly. Like you you just you just know that you vibe with the game so well. Like for instance, yeah. I got that with uh, Kingdom Hearts, obviously. And I was just sat there playing, and I was like, oh, I can't believe I haven't played this game. And now, now, like I said, there's just a, a way better version of it out there, and I'm just, I can't play it till it comes to Switch, and that sucks. Yeah. Hopefully it's soon. There, there are um, things about it, like, I, I kind of wish they kind of toned down on, especially, it was more prevalent in the early game than as you move along it, but it's very, it, it's very visually busy, and sometimes it's, it's to its detriment, like the lighting on, say, like, the torch that you get at the beginning of the game when you, like, try to hit things with a torch sometimes it's hard to like determine like how far you are from a from an enemy and when you're hitting them because like the the effects on like when you actually hit something especially that torch is like it's so it's so extra. bright yeah, yeah it's very bright and it's like, extra. like yeah i, 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 I can't see thing. anything <laughs> it's like the joke i want to make is how can you tell that ori 2 has a dynamic lighting system don't worry, the game will show you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, uh, it definitely make, has a lot of fun with that dynamic lighting system. But yeah, the game itself, though, is absolutely beautiful. Like, oh, people yeah. are, are talking about how it has issues running on Xbox. And it's like, I can understand why. Because even if it is a 2D game, there's so much going on, like, in the environment with the lighting. And there's so much, like, geometry. And it's like... Almost everything is 3D, even if it doesn't look like it. So it's like, yeah, it doesn't look demanding, but it probably actually is. So, yeah. I always kind of, uh, yeah, I always kind of roll my eyes a little bit when uh, I hear people say like, "This game looks like it should run faster." Like that's not something you can always tell just by a visual glance at a YouTube trailer or something like that. You know, you got to see like how it interacts yeah. with the input and like. Things like dynamic lighting, which might not be apparent right away, things like that. So uh, it's a hard thing to quantify, but I, I do agree with like you can't always just say, "Oh, it's two D, therefore it should be sixty FPS, no problem, right?" It's like, uh, okay, yeah. there's there's stuff going on that we're not aware of, like that we yeah. that we, you can't just tell based on a quick glance. Yeah, I, I'm excited to get back to Ori too. I'm, I'm glad that the soundtrack is still one of the best. Yeah, um, just it's it's very impressive. That's all I, I loaded really it up. <laughs> And I was mm -hmm. just like sitting on the title screen. I was just like, "All right, I'm just uh -huh. gonna let this play for a bit. Just, just let it, just let it go. I'm fine. This interface yeah. somehow the uh, I, I, I will not... in the sequel is even better than the first games, and the soundtrack in the first game was fantastic. Yeah, I won't say anything. I won't say anything about the story. I'm just, I'm just gonna let you know that this steal your heart a little bit at some scenes in Ori too, man. Yeah, just uh, yeah. I, I almost or... cried at that ending. Uh, oh, you already beat it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, how, how long is I'm it? Get there. Uh, 10 to 15 hours, depending on how much you uh, go for a completionist run. So. That's not bad, really, for, uh, a, for a platformer. Um, I can't really think I'd of say one. it's the perfect length. Perfect. Length. I, I, I don't know exactly how far along in the story I am. I'm still kind of collecting these four things in the world, too. Okay. Um, Josh, I'm just going to tell you that one sequence you're talking about with hiding in the environment, mm -hmm. that area you're going to, is you won't be able to progress until you get the rest of the lights. 
Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I know. I, I, I already, I've already at, like discovered that door for that. Gotcha. I, I've already, I've already fully explored that area. So I, I'm not going through this like darkness area right now. So, okay, just we'll wasn't sure if you knew. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, anything else to add on Ori One or Ori Two? All right, then. Uh, all right, Let's folks. Talk about Neo. Yeah, talk about <laughs> yeah, that Neo, Neo. too. Oof. I haven't played too much of it yet, but I, I did play. <laughs> oh, it's it's really really good. Uh, it's, it's a more iterative sequel, I'd say, in the sense that they didn't really change all that much, and most of what they've changed actually came from the DLCs for the first game, like the new weapons and whatnot. But what they have changed changes up the gameplay loop more than I was expecting. Like, one of the main new combat mechanics is this thing called the burst counter, where certain enemies will have... It basically feels like the developers played Sekiro, and they were like, oh crap, Mikiri counters are dope, let's do something like that. You know what? They're right. Mikiri counters are dope. They are dope. So... Basically, the way it works is that enemies will have this, like, red flash around them in a sound, basically exactly like a Makiri counter. And then if you see that the enemy do that, you can press R2 plus circle, and then you do this counterattack where if it hits, it'll stun them for a second, do a ton of damage, and do a bunch of, do a bunch of key damage. And they really use that in boss fights, which, oh my gosh, like... I, I liked the bosses in Neo 1, but I felt like some of them were a bit too basic. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, I'm still early on, so I don't know if they'll start end up reusing bosses like they did in the first game. But I've seen some footage of some later bosses, and it definitely seems like, if nothing else, the rest, um, a bunch more of the bosses in the game are going to continue along with this, like being much more dynamic, I'd say, than previous games. Like, the very first boss in the game is actually... So one of the things that the bosses do, especially the yokai, is that one of the new features in the game is like areas in the maps where you're basically stuck in the yokai realm and your key like replenishes slower. And you base and all the yokai that or, or demons that you're fighting in there have like additional abilities and whatnot. And you need to find like a big yokai, kill it to basically cleanse the area so you can be a bit safer. Well, some bosses have a similar deal where you if you deplete their key energy and make it so that you can stun them on hit eventually when their key is depleted they'll actually turn the entire boss arena into one of those yokai realms which actually buffs them makes it harder for you to replenish key oh boy but it's actually a bit of a buff to you too because one of the new things is these um actual yokai abilities i'm not sure what the actual term for it is because i've been playing ori 2 for the last couple of days but um so because your character is actually half demon half yokai you have a chance whenever you kill a yokai that they'll drop a soul core which if you get and bring it back to a shrine you can actually equip it to you and it gives you the ability to, to momentarily for like a quick attack transform into that yokai and do an attack and that seems dope. And those attacks are actually buffed whenever you're in the yokai round. Okay. Bosses. So if you want to, you can actually use those abilities when the boss is in that realm and you'll do a bit more damage and really, really much more dynamic. It's really interesting. And the second boss was interesting in the sense that 
it's kind of like this fire ash boss thing. It was like in one of the first, like, I think it was in the alpha demo or something, something like that. Mm -hmm. And so it's this kind of fire ash type yokai. And there's these pillars, you're fighting him in this like kind of forge room. And if you get him to attack these pillars, there's like these water things that will fall on him, do deal a bunch of damage and actually kind of stun him for a second. And he has all the other like yokai realm stuff that the first boss did, but it's like really interesting seeing how different each of these bosses are so far. And again, it's only a few, but I've seen some footage of later ones and I'm really interested to see if the game continues with that going that forward. That sounds exciting. Because, yeah. What uh, weapon load are you doing? Both you and uh, George. Switchglaive is the best. Uh, it, the reach. It, it's like a spear, but just so much better. That's I've been one, using... Yeah. yeah. I don't I know if it was in the DLC. I, 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 I beat the first game, but when I finished it, I was like, I, I've i enjoyed this enough, I don't need to push it on. So I, did, I didn't do the DLC. Um, so it yeah. has been a while for me playing a Neo game. Which I didn't sense. either. Yeah, I didn't get the DLC for the first one either, so yeah. just be a bunch of new weapons for me diving in. James, did I you know... play the DLC? Yes and no. I didn't really play it, but I did, like, in prep for Neo 2, start playing a bit of the DLC. I did, like, uh, the first okay. level in the first DLC, but that was basically it. Um... It was just kind of get some of the rest off before I started, you know, too, which I think I succeeded with that. Um, what I've been using are the Odachi, which is the giant katana, and the uh, Tompas, which mm. uh, I think is... Oh, I've tried the Tompas. They're cool. Yeah. I actually got these sets of Tompas that have this, like, sort of, like, paralysis, paralyze, uh, paralyze elements on them. So if I actually keep attacking with it sometimes i'll actually paralyze the enemies a little bit which slows them down which is really nice and the odachi is really fun because it just eats through key bars and does a ton of damage it's i, I feel like it's a good mix having like the quicker more agile weapon and then i have the uh damage dealing one to switch to and whatnot i still have no idea what i'm gonna go with once i pick it up i'm waiting to finish ori 2 then i'm gonna yep. go jump into that and I have no idea what I'm going to be picking for weapons. And I had mentioned I had mentioned previously that I want to get into Neo 2, but I also want to play Ori 2. I want to finish Final Fantasy, and then there's other games coming out like Final mm-hmm. Mana and a certain like remake. Next week we have it's like come on, next Animal week Crossing we have... and Doom Eternal next week, and those two are going to be. I, I want to play Doom as well, and I'm just like Doom. Oh, yeah. oh man. Um, all right. I anything else to say about the games you guys have been playing? Just that Neo did, did we uh I was gonna say did Go we on. shout out that uh Lucas put up a, a nice review for Neo two on the site? Uh and Good also point, Lucas and, and and I think uh George has been helping a little bit, I think, with, with a whole bunch of different guides and tips and things like that. Right. Uh, the, he enjoyed it a ton and he was a fan of the first game, it seems like. I'm talking about Lucas here one Lucas's reviews. general uh general overview of his review in short was basically what Jim said to section off was it is an iterative review like it doesn't reinvent the wheel it basically took what the team team ninja learned from the first game and the dlc and the feedback to that the demos they did and whatnot and they just tried to polish it up as much as possible so it feels like it's sort of a from from his review is basically it's a polished up version of neo that does everything that neo does well even better i guess it's also worth mentioning that this one has an actual character creator now you're yeah you can be a male or female 
uh, in this game, unlike just in the first one where you can be, you could technically be a female, but it's just like a skin for William. This one, you have your yeah. own dedicated character. It's also been cool, cool because you can like share your designs with like this code that people can pop in as well if they like the design that you made. So you see like all oh, these. I didn't know that. That's neat. Yeah. Yeah. So up on the site, I was, kind of, I was checking this earlier before the podcast. We have like a this little article with some character creation codes like people made solid snake a handsome squidward yeah, that, was yeah. My, uh, that was my guy yeah it's awesome it reminds me yeah, of I when uh, someone, code vein first yeah. i saw someone make a uh, majima from a uh, yeah that's in the guide too <laughs> yeah. uh i also i can't the name is escaping me right now but i think one of the presets in neo 2 is the ff14 producer yoshi p i believe yeah, yeah, so they, yeah so the, they held a uh, contest in japan for I know fan designs to be like defaults or whatever in the in, in the in, in this game, and one of the ones who won was this fan uh, who created a really damn good Yoshi P uh, lookalike uh, to be in the game, and they actually got uh, per- permission from Yoshi P to use this his design in the game. So if you wanted to be <laughs> Yoshi P as a samurai, uh, they make it very easy for you in Neo Two. <laughs> That was uh one of the more amusing things uh that I saw before this game came out. So that's cool. I'm excited to dive in whenever I get the chance. Yep. All right, we have some uh big news topics this week. Um I guess we'll just dive right into it. Uh we were talking about a little bit of our circumstances with uh with the novel coronavirus uh spreading uh, earlier in the po- podcast. But you know, one of one of the big headlines that I think we all saw coming uh, is that E3 2020 has been canceled uh, for this That's year. Right. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's the first time it's ever been canceled, and it's uh, like I want to say 25, 26 year run. Yeah, and um, it's it's nuts that like uh, the ESA is sort of considering maybe doing it, some sort of online event. Uh, maybe maybe later in the summer, uh, in 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 place, but nothing is solidified yet. Everything's up in the air. Um, co- coming out of this, uh, were plans started to leak a little bit. Like Jason Schreier from Kotaku mentioned that the this would have been the year that Warner Brothers uh, Interactive would have had their own conference. They would have shown Rocksteady's game. They would have shown off that leaked Harry Potter game that oh was uh, cir- circulating the internet a few. Uh, uh, Wait, whatever whatever that, warner montreal yeah. has been working on yeah um did like whatever that batman game was it wasn't going to be rocksteady working on no, it that's, yeah, that's, that's warner montreal, montreal. yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we we assume that they're working on a Batman game is what yeah. the rumors are they, they, well i mean they've, they've been teasing it here and there yeah full of owl stuff um and then uh bill spencer from microsoft uh has set, has come out and said you know we'll, we'll plan our own thing same thing with square enix kind of considering their options Ubisoft, same thing with uh, Microsoft. They're going to have their own digital events. So everything right now is we don't know exactly when uh, you know third parties are going to do their own stuff in place of E3. All we know for right now is that there is no E3. E3 is canceled. Sports leagues are canceled. The world is out of toilet paper. It's chaos. The world yeah. is canceled. <laughs> all I'm thinking of is that... Um one skeleton meme where it's going through all the different doors in like the hotel hallway 
with uh, the uh, Naughty Bear. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and all I'm thinking of is it's like I'm picturing Anime Expo's logo on that one door that the skeleton's coming up on next, and it's like yeah, it seems yeah. inevitable. Yeah, and Anime Expo does take place at the uh, same convention center that um, E3. Only two uh, or three weeks later. So yeah. So um, I think, and then I think for a certain set of gamer, if you will. To some people, E3 is just press conferences. And they're yeah. just like, well, you can just stream those. Just just beam it straight to my computer screen, and that's all I care about. Which, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's fair. Um, if all you want are trailers, yeah, they could do that. And I think that is a big, big part of E3. So you can at least do that through a Nintendo Direct-like stream. Um, but for people like us who actually attend E3... One thing that I think we get to do, and for sites like ours, it's like last year I got to interview you know a half dozen people and get a lot of insight on the games that were being made, like with Trials of Mana and the Saga games that came out, uh, and Final Fantasy VII remake and things like that. And like E three is a big opportunity to talk to like the game developers, both big and small, um, both for media to like get insight on games rather than just you know a, a polished up present presented trailer like to actually get like to hear words from the the people who are creating these games but also for like indie developers and smaller developers there's a lot of there's like a whole business hall i don't know if people are aware also, of that there's or... also yeah there's also like tertiary stuff like meeting your pr representatives in person whether you're yes. meeting with a new agency or a new contact which then pays dividends because now you've got that you know relationship uh, and they're they're uh they're in charge of marketing a specific title that you're interested in and you can get access to a uh even like an, yeah. a not in-person interview down the line so there's ripple effects like, like for instance just yeah, at a low level I'm, i met with a pr person from dead good media for the first time last year and that was you know now we have a working relationship and he you know covers games like uh vampire the masquerade sequel coming out and sends a, like that that that's where that connection was made so yeah that's the sort of one thing, thing we're missing I, now i just think I some people don't care about that they just want the trailers it's that for the bigger companies and the bigger outlets like we won't be impacted as much as some of the smaller outlets out there, partially because we're big enough that we already have contacts with a, with a bunch of the companies that we cover anyways, but also partially because we have people that are around the world that are actually close to where some of these companies are located. Like, can't talk about it right now, but in a few weeks, I'll be able to talk about a game I actually got to see at a company that's located in Southern California and how I got to actually go and play that but the smaller outlets and the smaller companies won't be able to really do stuff like that because either they won't already have those connections with outlets or if they're outlets themselves they won't already have those connections or as strong of a connection with those pr um companies than we do so it's Mm -hmm. really going to be a knock-on effect for the smaller companies whether they're on the journalist side like we are or if they're the actual companies developing the games you know yeah, what it's kind of... a big nexus where like like you know these types of important meetings are made as, as in some cases you know it might be make or break for some smaller independent developers as well it's it's a it's a bit like e3 is still considered like a business focused business centric type of event it's not like packs where they have like closed door like in development games that they're demoing formally you know to to media and whatnot like the pax isn't really known for that pax is more 
fan focused. Um, the only other place where you might see it is may- maybe some bits of GDC, maybe some bits of Gamescom. But E3 was really kind of that that place where everyone kind of had like an understanding going in that this is was traditionally. You know, um, one thing that also comes to mind for me. Mm-hmm. So, like last year at E3, um, Bonnie Nameco, right? Not last year, but two years ago at E3, uh, Bonnie Nameco had demos for Code Vein, right? Yeah. And the response to that demo was terrible. Nobody liked it, from what I could tell. It was <laughs> awful. The response to that was so negative. Shortly after, they delayed the game, and it turned out it was for a whole year. <laughs> so that's just yeah, one example, probably an. That's 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 kind of a maybe an outlier, but that demo response that they had at E3, that it's was a good. that ended up with a significant business decision on Bandai Namco's part. Like, yeah, we cannot release this game uh, yet. And I mean, so I don't. That's uh, there, I just want to. That is a little bit speculative, but I think there are there is some some evidence. Yeah, I mean, that, they're never gonna. Uh, they're never going to. They're never going to come. Right. Out I, I just I just feel like it's 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 fair to it's fair to just state that. It just. The fact that it was delayed right after E3, it was delayed. Let me, it was like a few weeks afterwards, and the fact that the delay was so significant, and based on what I heard, what everyone said, it was saying about the demo at the time, it had to be a factor. Um, yeah. like, and that, even uh, though they're a little bit more future looking, this they've they've avoided it so far just because they're later in the calendar. But you know, Josh brings up not Josh, James brings up Anime Expo being next on the postponement list, and then. What's 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 down the road from that? It's Gamescom and it's PAX West. You know, um, they're they're obviously further out. It's August and September, I believe, for those two events. But th- based on what we've seen from uh, the CDC and things like that, it's, it doesn't look, it doesn't sound like this virus is going to be wrapped up in a short order. So those yeah, those doors will be knocked really soon. Ever, yeah, yeah, and perhaps on maybe a more of a selfish note, a website like us, like we don't need. E3, like we can cover news that comes out of it, whether if it's streamed, if it's just streamed, we can, you know, do our usual, like we, we cover RPGs. So we try to be a nexus of all the major RPG news. Like we can cover that. And um, we still have working relationships with, with developers that they sometimes offer us preview codes and interviews. And like, like for example, we were invited to, to see Baldur's Gate 3 and I was able to talk with the, the combat designer for that. So we have some insight about the, the thoughts going into that game but on a more selfish note like we are a remote website like we all work remote all over the world like we have george coming in from england here and um i've never met george in person but maybe we could have at an e3 and that's just kind of you know it's nice for a, a outlet like ours and there's many outlets that work in a similar you know format where it's just being able to actually like work with each other like in person for once it's it would have been kind of, that, that that it's just fun. a bummer yeah, yeah. That, that's more that's more of a selfish thing you know the average consumer doesn't care about but it is it's just one yeah, of those yeah you, yeah, you can push no up there. your glasses and pinch your nose and be like well you can just uh you know video chat that's just as good and yeah it's and there's, the same there's something you're missing there right to to um circle back uh to look to look at a more positive side of it uh i have never been to e3 so the whole the whole business side of it is something that is obviously important to me, but I haven't experienced it firsthand. So I'm still one of those people who is like very hooked on the hype of E3. Like, so this situation revealing 
a few games that we perhaps sort of knew about, rumoured, um, like Jason Schreier said about Batman and what I want to talk about, uh, the Harry Potter game, the leaked RPG. It has been, God, I think two years since that was leaked. So, some context, been... uh, George is a Harry Potter nut. There you go. I am. All yeah, right. I, I've been talking about in the chat about this this leaked game for ages uh, i think I, I mentioned it last week just randomly and now it's come up again and my first reaction was just to scream because it it, it was back before i started writing for rpg site that i actually saw this leaked trailer i was like oh my god a harry potter rpg and now it's like oh my god like we could actually cover that and there's just this ah harry potter game i can't wait uh. <laughs> my my uh first like the first image that pops to my mind when I think of a Harry Potter video game is I remember there's this 360 Harry Potter video game that worked exactly like Gears of War. <laughs> oh, Deathly Hallows. Yeah. Yeah. Hallows. Yeah. And that, that's. I like how you could just pick out which one that was. Yeah. That, that, that is a level of like Harry Potter video game nerd I'm at. I've, I've played you... them all. Like they're not good, but I've played did, them did all. You play, did you play the British game? Yeah, I had the I had the Quidditch game as a kid. Like the... I, I didn't even know how to really play it, but I had it. Have you been, have you been to that uh, institute? Of... Sorry, go, go on, James. The only Harry Potter game I played was when I was in elementary school. Like there was this like after school care that I went to, and they had the original PC, which was kind of like almost like a Metroidvania third person thing. That was actually pretty cool. Like I, I know that like apparently the. Uh, like early on, the Harry Potter games were drastically different between each of the different like yeah. like platforms, and then it kind of converged like around like the third or fourth game or something. Well, well, actually, the one of the first games I think I ever played uh, was the first Harry Potter game on PS One. And the funny thing about that game is that whenever Harry would climb something or he'd jump off a ledge, he'd always make like a really loud jumping noise, like a really strained like. Huh! And as a kid, whenever I, I'd, I'd, I'd like jump off a curb, and I'd make the same noise. So for literally years, I'd be, yes. I'd be jumping off stuff like whoa. That, so, we, so that sticks in my head. How do we go from E3 to Harry Potter? Because it got leaked. It got leaked. Yeah, the, the, the Warner Brothers Interactive having their own. Yeah. this would have been the year. And, I, and, I've, and I've seen, you know, with no no uh, verity to any of this, you know, rumors of like, well. Jason Schreier is, you know, reliable. Some of the things he was mentioning, but I've seen other things being mentioned out there. What the various Warner Brothers studios are working on. I saw a mention of Matrix, and it's just like, oh huh. well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a bit more shaky, but it would be. Yeah, but it just yeah. whenever you whenever these sort of stuff comes up, you see all these like murmurs, and not all of it is going to be true, and who knows? But George, I, I, I meant to uh, hold on. I just have to know, George. So I. I know somewhere in Europe, there's like this institute that like teaches Harry Potter or if it's a tourist thing or whatnot. Is that like, first, is that place real? And second, have you visited it? What, what, what do you mean, teachers? <clears throat> okay, so the, the, there's like this institute or something in Europe that like kind of emulates the Harry Potter structure of like how they do schools or whatever. And they actually teach Quidditch Harry there. Potter, like a real world Hogwarts? Yeah, like, 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 a, like, a, yeah, like a, a real life Hogwarts. I, I have never heard of that. I've uh, I've seen the studio tours and stuff like that, and I've seen the the amazing Harry Potter world they have in. It's part of Universal, isn't it? The Harry Potter. I don't think so. I think it's yeah, like some it's other Universal. thing. Is it Universal? Okay. Yeah. yeah I, I remember reading up something like that, and I'm like, is this real? Yeah. Well, I, it doesn't surprise me that there is a. We're going far off topic here, but I'm I am happy to. 
there's a level of Harry Potter fan that is like beyond me. I I will watch the book, uh, watch the books, watch the films, read the book, play the games, but I will not sit there with a broom and pretend I'm a wizard. That's a bit. Fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my bad. You, 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 you're not on your college Quidditch team. Not quite. Come <laughs> on oh, now. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. so like. Well, anyways, how do we get back on topic after that? I cut you off, my bad. So what were you gonna say? I mean, all I mean, well, all I was saying was so like, if all you care about are e from E three are just trailers, then well, that can knows. be done digitally. Um, it's it's things like those backdoor meetings, and like I said, there's a whole hall for this, and even a lot of it's even you know off limits to press because it's meetings between developers. And publishers, people, people, and a lot of that's off limits yeah. to press. Uh, and like, so the E3, when you have a lot of these companies at the same location, it, it made sense for that to be a place where this sort of business could be done. Uh, like, I know, for example, Psy Games was there a couple of years ago. Uh, who knows if some of the Grand Blue Fantasy stuff that's coming out now or soon had been set up in any way at E3? I don't know. You know, that's stuff that's not always privy to us. But like that's just one example um, of the type of stuff that we we know that these publishers and developers attend to make these sorts of arrangements um, at E3. And then of course things like getting to talk to developers, both big and small, about the games they're making, about their their philosophies and insight. That may not interest everyone, but a lot of like like when you when people like refer to different quotes that different developers say. A lot of that comes from E3 interviews or Gamescom interviews, yeah. um, and so like that's a big opportunity for that. Uh, and now it's just and yes, yes, interviews can be done and are done outside of conferences, but that was just a very convenient place. Again, having publishers and developers all at the same spot made it a convenient place to do that. So that now has to be tweaked a bit, uh, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, and I guess. I'm I'm not gonna pose this as a question like is E3 gonna ever happen again? I think E3 will happen again next year. Do you think E3 will happen in the same capacity that it has done before? Do you think everyone's gonna be at the same size as they previously were? I well, one thing think... that's a little bit interesting. Well, one thing that maybe is a little bit uncomfortable to talk about is that a website like ours, when we are reporting like news from a developer, um in a way it is like marketing because we're basically just sharing a trailer or a press release or information that is being sent to us or sent, you know, we're just, we're, we, in a way we, one of our jobs as a website devoted to RPGs, it's basically be a relay for RPG news. Um, and in a way that is a little bit like marketing. And in fact, a lot of these places do like us covering the news because they're basically just mirroring their announcements further. And that's a part of it. Um, but obviously we try to add, we add, we try to add analysis and insight when we do our reviews and stuff, but the, some of the rumors about what E3 was trying to do was trying to really double down on that marketing element where like a publisher partners with a, with a website or, or an influencer or somebody to like advertise their game more, more, more overtly. Lots of activations. Yeah. That seems a little bit more awkward to me. Um, like a little bit more blatant and a little bit more over. Like you, you went from uh, towing the line to across it. Yeah. Um, so it just it, that that's the part where I'm just like, eh. well, it's going to be impossible to Google and search up now. But didn't wasn't the plan for this year to have an industry day, kind of like how Gamescom sets it up? 
I don't think so. I, don't I think it was maybe maybe hours. maybe it was just extended hours. Uh, I know, maybe. like last year, they just had like industry opens at nine, uh, public at eleven, or whatever. Um, yeah. I wonder if that's still like gonna be like malleable or shiftable if it ever comes back. I'm more of an optimist. I think it'll come back and not be too different. It will be different, obviously. I'm not, you know, blind. But people who say like, you know, it'll never be, it'll never be the same. Dun, dun, dun. I'm like, okay. I, I maybe I'm just not pre predisposed to think that way. I think E3 was already like on the way out, and I definitely think that this year they were hoping, especially with the next gen consoles, to get the sort of boost that they would need to kind of recover. I do think that E3 getting canceled specifically this year is going to have a large impact on whether or not E3 can survive in the long run. Mm, I think that's true. Like, it's, like to speak of the next-gen consoles, with the coronavirus, we don't even know if they'll come out this year. Like, the production might be affected. Oh, actually, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but uh, yeah, the plan was this year, the Tuesday the 9th, the first day of E3, was going to be industry-qualified attendees, media exhibitors, VIP, oh, VIP buyers only. Um, so there was, oh. there was no gamer badge. So it was going to be one day of that and then two days of standard operation, which is slightly more like Gamescom, which I think is two and three, or one and three, something like that. But obviously, that's all up in the air now. Just, But it was, it was going to have that industry day, or whatever you want to call it. Not anymore. Mm. Sorry, but uh, that was the point. Yeah. Well, we know as of the moment, who knows, but they're still planning an E3 2021. Good. Oh. I, I would like to see it come back. I, I hope that like a year out, they can do something, like they can boost it again. Yeah. So like the revival people will be more excited for because this year there, there's there, a lot there of... Definitely, it, yeah. I, I think a year off will do them a lot of good in the long run. It, it feels like they're kind of grasping onto any ideas that'll that sounds lucrative without really, you know. I feel like it, it, kind, of, it kind of feels a bit half-assed this year. So hopefully the yeah. a, a bit of time and a bit of self-reflection will do them good. And we'll, we'll see. Also, the, this will be a weird year because this will be a year where companies can all finally get like on paper, like is it worth it to keep on running expensive booth at E3 or can we scale down or back out next year I think we'll find if they go the direct route that there isn't much point to it like besides like like Adam was saying the whole business side of it but that could but that could be you know and not an expo hall footprint yeah, I do think in a way E3 was a convenience to have people in the same spot and the same, you know, but along with that convenience did come with an expense of the booths. But I almost feel like it was just almost overly extravagant in a way, especially when they opened it to the public because now they have to like, you know, it, now now it's a public thing and all these people are going to be taking photos and, you know, they have to be presentable and try to be better than their next door neighbor booth. Forward for, uh, Talking yeah, about the extravagance and how like almost every year D3's like, like Microsoft press conference, you, it was like, where are they going to be hiding the car this time? Yeah. <laughs> um, but it does on a personal maybe, maybe... level, E3 being um, obviously punted away from this year, it has made me think about, obviously none of these are going to be on the table this year, but, it makes me more inclined to be like, 
I wonder what uh, PAX. I've been a few PAXs, but not since 2016. Maybe I should see how that's changed. Maybe I should really look. And we should also uh, getting going to Gamescom or even something like Anime Expo whenever I can. Yeah, you know, and uh, we should also mention just like these a lot of these developers, especially the bigger ones, and that's a key important uh, that's a key thing to mention. Like they do these press events. Um, like for just in the last couple of months, we've been to a Baldur's Gate one, a Final Fantasy VII one. Uh, a Persona 5 Royal one. We have some we can't talk about yet. Um, yep. So, like, uh, web, we have been lucky, and we I think we punch above our weight a bit, that we get invited to these sorts of things. Uh, this is where the conversation comes into play. Like, even if these events are still being held, they do... Um, they are, by by definition, in a way, more limited, both who can do these events, in, like, as a publisher side, like, who can do these press events, um, they're mostly going to be big companies or on the media side who can attend or who's invited so it, it, it necessarily limits those sorts of things and that was so. basically what I was talking about right, right. it's like mm-hmm. um, companies like the larger publishers or even really the um, the ones where they know that we have that there's press locally aren't going to have as much of an issue because they can just like say hey do you want to come visit us? Do you want to come check out these games? That sort of stuff. For the bigger outlets and for the bigger companies, they're going to be fine. There's also but... the whole thing that I think a lot of us, you know, we do this uh, as, you know, one of our, you know, we do this every day, uh, being in tune with the gaming news and world and whatnot. But E3 was also, like, one way that that, that sort of news broke out to the more mainstream outlets like USA Today or whatnot. Um and so, like, that was one of the places where that sort of stuff, those sorts of well, outlets, that's what I was going to say. Would like, what if you're it. like, what if you're like, for instance, this is just a hypothetical. You're a French studio. You're spiders. You're working on your next RPG, and you want to get it to the English-speaking audience and media. Uh, obviously, you're going to have to. You can't. You could hold your own event, but then that's just going to be, you know, more expensive because you have to get English-speaking media from, you know. Europe uh, from the UK side of Europe or from uh, English speaking, uh, you know, North American countries over to you, which is going to be more expensive than, uh, well, I guess I don't know. If, I don't know. It's not like I know what the checkbooks looks like, but it just seems like that's, that's the sort of company that I can envision would suffer more from access, not having a yeah. centralized location. It, like there's, there's, there's like an if, you're, if you're a studio thing, in right? California, it's, it's different than if you're a studio like, in a, in an Eastern European country trying to get eyeballs on your game. And like for example, Focus Home Interactive, they recently released in Spiders Greedfall, and that was a their most successful game like ever. And it had its own. It had you know we talked about it before the podcast um, uh, during our Game of the Year podcast or whatnot. And had some issues, but that game having presence at a couple of E3s, I think, did a lot of help um, in getting it in like media's like purview and. People, the media outlets like ours started reporting on it. So, like, they're not, Spiders was not a big company. Like, they were an indie studio, basically. And just they took an opportunity like E3 to get people to say, to look at their game. Because they could easily host their own thing and have like Ju Video, G J E U X, the French uh, outlets. Yeah. But, yeah, but but how do they get Kotaku, Polygon, uh, GameSpot? and it's not like I have hard evidence in front of me to say their presence at E3. Oh yeah, what that was just an example. Like you, could, you could all you could, successful. You could point but out like I, a, I'm sure know, it was a factor. Larian being Belgian or whatever. Yeah, 
three no more until <laughs> next year hopefully anything else <clears throat> all right i'm Moving gonna on. miss my uh my uh mlb and my we're gonna... nfl it hasn't happened yet for nfl but uh, you know i think it's on the table we're gonna miss the neons uh, yeah like... the neons <laughs> All right, we have a date on this Fantasy Star Online 2 open beta for Xbox um, One only at the moment. Uh, it is coming just in a few days to, to March 17 in North America. It's finally here. Yep. Uh, the newest, oldest game coming soon. Yeah, not much really to say here because, like, I mean, unlike the, the closed beta, it seems it's like... Open, yeah. Yeah, it's not, it seems like that with the open beta here, it's basically just going to, okay, it starts here, and that's going to be a seamless transition from the beta to the full release. And considering it's a, a free-to-play game, that, like the open beta launch is pretty much the game launch, right? Like, they, they, yeah. yeah, they're also selling like, like, like founder packs and bundles, right? Like yeah, Sonic one. there's, gonna, there's so like, like a founder's bundle for like 30 bucks. It comes with like some like uh, cosmetics that lets you look like... Yeah, there's like this like cosmetic bundle with also like some other stuff that they're releasing that lets you look like some of the characters from Fantasy Star Online 1 and whatnot. But yeah, I mean, I'm excited to play that. I enjoyed the closed beta and I mean, feels like it's a good time for it to release because as we there... said, there's not much else with sports being canceled for people to do. <laughs> For for a game like this, is there really much difference between an open beta launch and like whatever the the full launch is? It like, are there going to be really. like limited? It, it depends if it carries. Does it? Oh, let me just ask the, the, the simple question: Does progress carry to the launch? Yes. Or no? Or all right. So yes. then, in that case, then I guess I don't. Is know there going to be like limited? Really anything limited in terms of content? Or <laughs> I don't know. Well, you might you might be gated how far you can progress. Like you can't just yeah, but, beat the game and or beat the storyline in the beta. You might be you might come up. But with considering a that there's already going to be multiple episodes of content like in the game at launch, it's like even if it's limited, most people aren't going to get to the gate for yeah. the story content before the full launch anyway. So apparently, so apparently uh, Sega actually released some yeah. information from the closed beta, and two absolute mad lads managed to make it to level 75 in the closed beta, like during those few days it was available. That's amazing. A lot of times, yeah. I think when whenever these MMOs launch, what, what what happens is what you usually see is that guilds or whatever they are in the, the equivalent would rally behind usually a streamer or an influencer or someone with some presence kind of gather like materials for them to kind of like slingshot them forward uh i've seen that a couple times where it's like wow this guy beat the game got the max level and got the best gear in three days but they also had like you know basic peons for lack of a better word gathering all this stuff for them and doing like all the grunt work uh, i'm sure we'll see that how many yeah. energy energy drinks do you think they consume to get there too oh. many. Too many. They they just had a backpack like with it like yeah. you know, siphoned into their mouth. They well, had a setup. I'm not even sure if they necessarily needed that because the open beta well closed beta was only open specific times anyways, so they had time to sleep. <laughs> no man, they they gotta be pumped up at all times. Always be ready. They were studying well, I I'll admit, uh, whenever I'm playing an MMO and like a new expansion comes out or whatever, like I will take the day off work and just 
you know, no life. Mm-hmm. I've that, done that. So. My, my friend right at the moment is doing that with Path of, Path of Exile every single time. I'll do it. Oh, jeez. All right. I'm, um, I'm waiting for the PC release here. I, I, I'm, I'm interested. Here. But I'm I'm ready. So I just wait for need detail. it to come to. I do not have an Xbox One. So. All right. Uh, that uh, fan translation of uh, Trails from Zero, uh, I think you mentioned that on the last podcast. You said it was coming Pretty soon. Late. Yeah, And it's releasing today. It's, it's not re- quite out yet. They mm-hmm. um, the team's doing some last minute uh, bug squashing for the uh, installer for the actual translation. I do feel like it's worth mentioning that I've had like uh, I've actually helped with the project a bit myself. So full disclosure. And while Colin isn't on podcast, he also was directly involved with the fan translation project. So I uh, I also hosted the podcast that had uh, several. I don't know if they're still on the active uh, team, but. Guan and Fluffy uh, were either still on or were once on the team. Uh, I hosted a podcast with uh, a TetraCast episode, special episode with them as they kicked off the project uh, some years ago. So yeah. the you know full disclosure that you know some of us were involved in one way or another with that because you know we're RPG fans. That being said, edition, though the patch is completely free, so it's not like it's really that much of a conflict of interest. It's yeah, more like it's, it's a passion project. Yes. Yeah, and. I will say that since I have interacted with them, the team worked incredibly hard on this. And I do believe that the uh, things they've been saying about how they wanted it to be in line with the series official translations and more also like in line with the series official PC versions definitely is up to snuff. They've really helped uh, make the pc version of zero a lot better than it originally was there's so many improvements um they released the video with all sorts of information about the stuff like it has like proper like 144 fps support um much better like anti-aliasing performance all sorts of stuff translation as well, right yeah so it's like um it's at the point now where between fan translation i guess if crazy person that wants to do the uh, spreadsheet for <laughs> send four you can actually technically play all the series so far in english and that's kind of crazy but uh yeah and for yeah, anyone and, who's uh, played cold steel 3 or planning to when it comes out for pc and switch uh there's basically a chapter of that game that calls back to these two games which i'm in that boat where i've played the all the official english releases but this is kind of a gap in my knowledge so that's, yeah i feel I like i'm, I'm squarely mentioned... in the center of the population that this fan translations for i'm up to date on the english releases i've got this hole in my you know uh in my heart to be poetic though in my knowledge base uh i don't know what the events that were called back to in the later sequences so yeah. here here's my opportunity to to educate myself into what i'll definitely what, say and here. i know people always say this about games that were stuck in japan when they get translated i firmly believe that the crossbell duology is as of right now the best arc in the trail series and i'm really excited for people to be able to play zero because it has in my opinion for the first games in an arc it probably has the best pacing out of the entire series because while I love Trails in the Sky first chapter, it's obviously very slow paced, and Trails of Cold Steel also has some pacing issues. Trails this from Zero, is, Zero goes from the get go because yeah, it yeah. has such a cool premise. Uh, yeah, out of the it's, I, I, just I, this so as an aside, I know what you mean. Huh? 
it feels like untranslated games sort of get like this boost to their reputation just because they're not translated to the, like a yeah. big unknown. I remember when like Final Fantasy Type Zero released and it wasn't released. Like people were like, yeah. "Oh, Final Fantasy Type Zero is so cool! If only you could play it in English." And then it did come out in English, and that game sucks. It sucks. Tell us how you real, really feel. Uh, I was really thinking the same for like when a lot of those uh, PS2 Final Fantasy games had their international versions, uh, Kingdom Hearts as well. It's like you haven't played Kingdom Hearts two until you've played Final Mix, and in that game that's actually that that one's that one's actually legitimately good in my opinion. Another one was like Final Fantasy. No, 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 okay, Kingdom Hearts two Final Mix is good, but another one on the I other mean, issue is Final Fantasy even, X even international of... version. Yeah. is not good i was saying people like would talk that one up and then i finally played it with the hd remaster i'm like none of this stuff is good in my opinion my, so. the, the, the biggest one that that comes uh in, in that respect was way way back when was when uh castlevania rondo of blood was only in japan and people talked that up like like i love rondo of blood but this was like you, you would like you would say this is like the second coming of christ in games and it's never coming over kind of interesting I, thing about rondo of blood is uh on Wii, the original Wii virtual console you could actually buy the game the japanese game they had a few selection of just import downloads that you could just do on the north american shop and you could just buy it and play it i forgot i forgot that was like the earliest release here or uh was it the psp well the thing is is like i don't know if you technically call it a north american release because it's like it even it even had like the japanese flag next to it and it basically is telling you like this is a japanese version of the game yeah, I know a game like this, you don't you need to know a lot of Japanese like to play that. it, but you can. Yeah. Uh, but, I actually, I just, I just remember Rondo of Blood when it came out, when it was purchasable from the virtual console from North America without changing region or VPN or anything. You could just buy it. Like people would talk it up, like you were mentioning, and I did. Uh, rip yeah. virtual console. I wish you were not dead. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it's funny though, because we're talking about all these games. Go well. They're, they're so good, but the shame it's not been translated. And we were just talking about earlier, like uh, Trials of Mana and how like, uh, yeah. yeah, same thing. Um, another interesting thing about this is that like, when the uh, release date for these, this fan translation was announced, very shortly after uh, Zero, well, Trails from Zero became the best-selling uh, DLC, um, DL site game of the year. And actually, I think, Maybe all time. I, I've been seeing some reports of that. The DL site is, is, is a retailer for uh, these Japanese uh, games that you can get, uh, I believe, codes from. You just uh, get yeah. them digitally. That's how I bought uh, um, Zero for uh, when I was helping with the testing. And uh, the physical copies actually are sold out on Amazon Japan and Falcom's own uh, website. So it seems like it's, it's actually pretty impressive to see like the... Um, fan base like Being kind back. of fall behind this fan translation actually support it support the official release it's always good yeah. to see stuff like that yeah it's, it's it's always difficult when it comes to like very old fan translations like uh, to officially support games like the older back you get the harder it gets to like get those games officially so it's good to see that you know right we're not lock, we're not locked to a, a cartridge that only oh. plays in a certain yeah. region of console that you have to import and then have like an adapter it's just like all right, at least we're mm-hmm. not past that. We're past that era of, uh, I don't know what you want to call that, of headache. Yeah. So I, I'm sure I'm sure when that releases uh, later on today, at the time of this recording, March 14, uh, I'm sure uh, there will be instructions if you're interested in, uh, you know, buying the game yep. and how you patch it and all. I'm sure there'll be an in-depth tutorial on, uh, 
on all that. So if you're, you know, if if you can't wait anymore, uh, then definitely support the game. Uh, and you know, you can go check out I, what they've been doing. I will say one good thing about Trails from Zero <laughs> is that. So many of the first games in a Trails arc have a horrific cliffhanger, like Trails first chapter has it, Trails of Cold Steel has it. Trails from Zero, while there are lingering questions, it doesn't really end on a cliffhanger per se. So you can feel fine, like even though there are also fan translations for Al, which are actually decent, I'd say, rather than the previous Trails from Zero translation that was definitely not good but um you can play zero and you won't have to worry about being left on a cliffhanger and being like oh i gotta wait for the uh proper owl translation because it's definitely one of those games where you can just play it and be like okay i'm good for it. yeah though i will say Al no kiseki hell of a game yep hell of a game crossbell in general just so good so good all right moving on we have uh, not necessarily out of nowhere. It's been uh, kind of rumored here before, but finally uh, uh, officially revealed in a PlayStation blog interview with Herman Holst, which is uh, used to be the head of Guerrilla Games. Now I forgot his exact title in Sony. Now he's been promoted. He's the head uh, of Worldwide Studios, right? Head of Worldwide Studios. That sounds. Uh, like... Yeah, he's um, Yosip's uh, uh, old position now that he's in uh, doing indie games. Yeah. So they, they, he kind of, kind of casually mentions in this PlayStation blog interview after being asked, hey, about you know Horizon Zero Dawn coming to PC, can you tell us anything about that? He's like, yeah, it's coming to PC this summer. So, you can wishlist yeah. it on Steam. And, yep, and uh, as soon as he said that, that same day, yeah. Yep. Uh, and, so. pe and people have kind of poked through to learn a few things, like there are like ultra-wide screenshots, so it's going to support that. Well, actually, like that. let me say, the Steam page for Horizon Zero Dawn there's like seven screenshots on it or whatever. And six of them, they'll even just say captured PS4 Pro. It's like, oh, so this is just a PS4 screen. But one of them, for some reason, there's one screenshot on the Steam page that doesn't have that label and it's a wide screen, like an ultra wide one. So we have one screenshot that basically shows, hey, this game probably supports ultra wide. <laughs> Which already makes then, it more like a, probably a better PC port than most console ports because like ultra wide is one of those things it has to go in and patch it in at launch. Yeah, it's and a, then a, uh, one one game to kind of look at for if you're wondering like how this is going to work or how it's going to run, um, Death Stranding, which is also getting a PC port, runs on the same engine, and I don't think so any it's other Destiny. Going to be curious. This it's going to be curious to see which thing. releases first because they're both slated for summer. I, summer. I, I think June. Yeah, June of well, Death Stranding. Yeah, yeah. Death Stranding is and Horizon doesn't. Right, but they're so. both in the summer. But yeah, those are both released around the same time. Those will both be Decima Engine games, which is a guerrilla, you know, produced engine, as far as I understand it. Both, both look incredible. Both PC. Yeah, yeah, they both look great. I think. Did anyone get a chance to play Death Stranding, or was it just me and the? Other? As soon as they announced the PC version, I was like, "Yep, waiting." <laughs> I I am looking forward to mod PC mods of Death Stranding. It's very kind good. Of... I really enjoyed it. Has anyone um, else played Horizon other than me? Yeah, I have. I'd say it's really I, good. I, it's um, the only PlayStation exclusive I'd never got the hype for. It is literally the only one that I I didn't connect with. I really enjoyed it. I feel like in recent years, there's been a lot of discussion about how like, formulaic a lot of open world, 
especially since like it came out right before Breath of the Wild, which kind of turned things on its head. Um, I feel like as far as like, I'll call it the Ubisoft style, like um, open world games, Horizon Zero Dawn is definitely one of the most polished and one of the most interesting. Like even like the uh, towers are actually like, not really enemies, but like robots in the world that you have to have find like solve these kind of puzzles to figure out how to climb them and whatnot. I really enjoyed it. I'm actually excited to maybe replay it on PC because I never got around. Well, to my my PC. thoughts on Horizon. I think Horizon's. A, I'm not like in love with it, but like as far as the open world stuff goes, it is a smaller open world than a lot of like Ubisoft games. So I feel like just, just from that. Yeah, I think from that alone, it's more manageable because it doesn't feel like it takes forever to like do side quests or collect things on the map, and that's all optional anyways. I feel like it's it's scaled down enough where it's not so um, overwhelming and like filled with just a bunch of junk or whatever. Yeah. But I think where Horizon most shined, and like when you compare it to Breath of the Wild, one thing I think Horizon clearly did better than Breath of the Wild was like its actual combat. Um, that was probably Breath of the Wild's weakest element. I've heard it also has some really interesting story hooks with a, a few that are clearly yeah. spoilers. Uh, which there, is there are a few parts you could of the say Breath of the Wild bit. is not strong at. Yeah, as as far as like the open world stuff goes, maybe Breath of the Wild. I could definitely see uh, how that was stronger and how it like coerced you to explore the maps and how it was and how the actual world was designed. Horizon, now I can totally understand if you don't like. The combat either because it is different it than most other combat systems for an action game it's very reliant on like traps and range not a lot of melee in fact the melee in that game if you stick to that you're probably going to suck because it's not very good uh you're doing a lot of switching between arrows and traps and bombs and things like that and you're targeting different sections of these giant robot monsters and i think it's really cool and there's really no other game that plays quite like that especially for an action game so I I think that's probably Horizon's strongest suit is that combat that it uh, that it kind of incorporates with especially obviously Aloy's like iconic weapon is her bow so a lot of range combat and that's just something I think it does better than any other component yeah, to the but game. But between these two I games, say... I look at Horizon and I'm like super enthused for it and I want to try it, and then I look at Death Stranding and I just don't gel with what it's presenting. Like I'm just not interested in death stranding you could you could talk it up or say I how great it is i just don't i just don't think i'd see myself enjoying it but horizon as far as like story elements go i think alloy is a pretty great character yeah but i think like the story she finds herself in is a little bit just stereotypical it's like the character is that's, great the world she's in is not super interesting that's odd because i feel like a bunch of people actually really enjoyed the horizon zero dawn has and also the backstory and i i definitely agree with that i mean that's the thing for horizon like i guess nothing about it is necessarily completely novel or new but it's new enough and what it does have is really well polished and i'm really excited to see what else they do with the series because like i feel like everyone's been kind of just assuming that once the playstation 5 gets fully revealed that the sequel for this is going to be like one of the launch window titles because it came out yeah. like early 20, um, 2017 so it's been three years and also like the game itself sold more than 10 million copies so it's yeah. obvious that it's going <laughs> to get a sequel so i mean 
even if it's not launch window, like once the PlayStation 5 gets fully revealed, we're going to see the sequel. We're going to know it's in development and whatnot. And I wonder if part of the reason why they're porting it to PC is kind of be like to get some people that are on PC like hyped for more of the series. And it's like, ha ha ha, you need to buy a PlayStation 5 or something like that. Now, now to, to help set the stage for someone like me who's not really into the Sony ecosystem much, this is the first game that has been published by Sony, specifically Sony Mobile on PC. Because no, no. Helldivers. Helldivers. I don't know if Sony Mobile did hold Helldivers, but it, but Sony was definitely behind Helldivers. Because, like PC. for instance, I was thinking of like the Quantic Dream games, but those were published by 505 on PC, and then uh, Death Stranding is published also by 505 on PC, because those were never yeah. first party studios. But this is Guerrilla Games. This I think there's a couple of other. Studio. I think there's a couple of like I'm looking at the Steam page here. Everybody's gone to the Rapture it was a PlayStation game, but it wasn't developed by PlayStation. Um, so. Yeah, it's, it's that, what I'm um, getting at is that those those Quantic Dream games that came to the uh, Epic Store and then obviously Death Stranding, those had kind of clear avenues to to end up on PC, but Horizon really didn't, at least not at first. Until, you know, it didn't until it did. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's kind of like if there's going to be a tipping point about one game that could be indicative of more console exclusives. Yeah, coming, I mean, well, this I mean, is the one. Oh, oh, I think the main reason. I think the main reason that this is the first one coming to PC is actually because the engine got ported to PC for Death Stranding. So it's like, well, there if is the engine's ported and this is also several years old, we might as well double dip and get some extra sales on PC. Yeah. So I don't necessarily think this means more games PC. Well, that being said, yeah. I hope it does because yeah, I'd love to see Bloodborne at 60 FPS and with a way to turn off that damn chromatic aberration holy fuck that has aged horribly yeah hosted say like you know the, the just because uh, the, this is coming to pc doesn't mean the whole entire playstation catalog is coming like they're, they're, he's, st he's, st he's still saying that playstation is committed to consoles and whatnot so i think there are more things in the works but not necessarily like a whole abundance of them of yeah. course i am with james that uh, i have all my fingers and toes crossed that bloodborne comes to pc because that would be the dream but you know, I think I don't uh, think any of us here are like, like, super console fanboys. <laughs> you know, but there's been some. No. Ups, I, there's I, been I some... Would kind of argue that I am, but like, I, I'm not. Are you upset? Are you throwing your PlayStation across the room right now? <laughs> I'm like, I I really do only play on consoles like the PS4 and the Switch, but yeah, that's fine. Yeah, more than happy for people to have like there shouldn't be exclusives like just enjoy games you know who cares what's on what i i personally kind of the way i approach stuff like this is i just go wherever the games go like if there's yeah. enough games on playstation that i want to play i'll buy a playstation if they're not there they're not there and i won't buy one like i played horizon a couple of years ago and like yeah i enjoyed it and now that it's coming to pc it's just like i'm you're like oh cool that'll be a better version performance wise sure i don't feel like i was Gypped or anything, you know. I'm, I'm literally saying like exactly. on fire right now. Cannot believe. I, I will <laughs> um, say though that um Horizon was actually one of those games on PS4 that I feel like the performance was actually pretty good. Like it was, yeah, it was 30 FPS, but it was, it was 30. basically yeah, it was a locked 30 FPS, and I think the most it dipped was down to like 28, 29 FPS. So it really wasn't 
a major deal. Fun. And the, yeah. and I played it on like PS4 like amateur because that was before I had the pro, and I felt like the game looked really really good. I love that the uh, model for the base PS4 PS4 amateur. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I might I might adopt that. Oh man. But uh, yeah, so I mean. I thought it looked really fantastic for the system. That was like 1080p, 30 FPS. So I'm excited to see like how much better it would look, how much better it would like run on PC because it was should... already a pretty well optimized game and whatnot. Now I guess the argument is that some people will have is, and maybe I just don't care enough. But like some people are like, well, now if they release Horizon 2 on PS5, people aren't going to buy it because they're just going to wait. And I guess you know. Well, I, I think I think there are plenty of people that are in George's shoes that the PS5 is where they want to play it, and that's I don't think I think that's paranoia in my opinion. Like, yeah, I, I, there might be some people who will make that decision, but I feel like the benefit for Sony to release a game on console and then re-release it on PC years later is probably worth it. <laughs> like that, that yeah, harms be... virtually no one. I feel. Yeah, it is literally the same situation with me and Ori and the Will of the Wisps now. Like, mm -hmm. I could go and get that. Like, that's but true. I, I, I and if and if there were enough then. Xbox games that enthused you yeah. or PC that, games, the, the funny thing is, you would like, go there. I actually, George, let me uh, tell you how good or, or Ori Two is. Okay? Oh, I don't want to hear it again. <laughs> <laughs> like, I had an Xbox One for a while. Um, I think it was just after I finished my. A levels, so this was two, three years ago. I, I got one, and one of my favorite games of all time is on the Xbox, uh, Sunset Overdrive. Bloody love that game, but mm. I don't have an Xbox anymore, so I can never play it. But I'm not well, going to go PC now, but <laughs> I don't have one of them either. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, George, uh, my, my I'm, I'm gonna tell you how about... great Fantasy Star is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've never, <laughs> I, I absolutely love how, like, I'm the only staff that has an xbox and then they sent us like how many codes was it for fantasy star online 2 and it's like Loads, shit yeah. <laughs> 12 yeah, yeah it was 12 yeah, yeah. Wasn't it? yeah um specifically for ori i'd actually say that i wouldn't get an xbox specifically for it because even on the x it's having some pretty nasty performance issues on the ba on the uh, yeah, xbox uh... Yeah, I play so Steam I, version. It's been fine for me. Yeah, play it know. on PC. Play it on PC. There's still some bugs I ran into, but there, there's still some graphical glitches. But yeah. also, also just keep in mind that like the original Ori game, not same. They re-released it, like when they re-released it as the definitive edition. They actually added stuff to it. Yeah. Not saying they'll do that again, but they might. It, it's yeah. not. As, it isn't as far as enough to get an Xbox for me. Like I, I yeah. do really want to play it, but I can wait. Which is fair. As far as like stuff like Horizon and whatnot, I feel I definitely feel like coming back to that one thought that I had a few podcasts back, where it feels like both Sony and Microsoft have realized that it's better to get people buying the games, even if they weren't going to be in the ecosystem, because especially now with uh, the specs of the next gen consoles and what they're probably going to cost, they're going to be sold at a loss, and it makes more sense that if somebody's playing on pc and they're not really going to get a next-gen console except for maybe one or two games well if they get a next-gen console buy one or two games and then don't pay for like playstation plus or xbox live or anything like that the companies themselves are actually losing money on those people buying the system so it makes more sense to try and push like ports to pc because it's like okay 
if you're only going to buy a couple of games on our system, just buy the games on PC because we're actually going to make more money that way, especially near launch when the systems are definitely going to be sold at a loss. Yeah. So it's going to it's going to be curious to see yeah. what Sony does with PC releases. Saying, oh, we're not going to release everything on PC. That We still have to wait and see and see what other games wow. do end up coming. So, you know, I read my, one my, thing my, my, that for secret. Ori 2, um, mm-hmm. like it has, it's available also, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, because I got it through Game Pass, um, which so far I'm 90% positive on with a couple hiccups, which are out of scope. Uh, but it has like, if you get the Steam achievements, you can cross link them with your Xbox achievements and vice versa and things like Like it's pretty well integrated and it seems like that's, that that's just only well. growing. Oh, oh that's kind of neat. So, yeah, like, like, got, it, tell, it tells you to sign in with your... Uh, Xbox account, and luckily I, I remember what it used to be. Um, in fact, hang on, I'll, ch- I'll, I'll check and see if they've updated my achievements to match it. But I know I people might say oh, like, those are just achievements, but but I think it's cool that like you, you're not locked out of something because you specifically purchased it on Switch or on PC, or and, and then on PC whether you got it through Steam or Microsoft Store or Game Pass. Uh, so. That is the one thing I think Microsoft has done really well on, though I will say I've just, I think everyone's kind of run into a couple weird niggling issues with Game Pass, like the, the way the, the folders are hidden or you can't directly access where your games are installed and things like that. Uh, but that's kind of a different beast compared to just Sony releasing on Steam, which is kind of like a well-traveled, you know, people are know the inner workings of how that is, you know, configured. Uh, but I just do wonder if we're starting to see these more pc console crossovers where do you where do you like gauge them is it just enough for it to be available on pc is it people are going to start asking for sony pc releases to tie into their trophy system stuff like that i don't care about any of those achievement uh types of systems i well i mean it's not just achievements though it's also like friends list you're playing a multiplayer game and if your friends on someone on xbox you can play with them on halo and then bring in a steam friend and things like that so that, that, that'd be nice of a, of a wider thing yeah that, that'd be i'm sure that would be nice for like the, the the bigger like you know big picture user base but but for me personally everything's been tied to discord like i just play games and on my other screen there's discord open and well, no and i'm the That's same way me. like i ever, ever since discord uh became you know the thing i've never used an in-game chat system like i was playing I think again halo and i just disabled all the in-game like it supports in-game voice or whatever in lobbies but i would just play with my friends at a discord server instead running underneath like that's just how i how i run i can uh, now confirm having gone through the really long process of logging in to my microsoft account that they actually do connect to the switch version i've now got like six seven eight nine achievements on or in the blind forest for switch so that's pretty cool you are yeah. you are you are a Microsoft fanboy now. I'm sorry. What's your, what's your uh, gamer score, man? Uh, like uh, quite quite a lot actually. I, I, had, <clears> I had an Xbox 360 for a while. Um, I, th- but, I feel like we all did, or not all, but a lot of people are most, like, yeah, 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 I, yeah, I have 30k gamer score from the 360 days. So I uh, check this now. Ugh. I I played PS3, not 360. Uh, James yeah, went the other played. direction because he's just a weirdo. <laughs> okay, never mind. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I, we I was just, playing uh, Motorstorm and Killzone too. We were just Motor talking Storm about trophies. Sick game. It was. All right. Wait, what were you saying, George? Did you say your gamer gamer score? Uh, I'm checking now. Here. Oh, okay. 
I don't even remember. 20, 24,000. 24,000 games. I don't know if they're good or not. I think I've got like a thousand gamer score from just playing Age of Empires re release, and I haven't owned an Xbox like ever. So it's just interesting <laughs> to think about. More impressive. Here we go. Wait for this. This is actually something I'm proud of because okay. I, I am admittedly the thing that sticks me to PlayStation now is that I've just I've been with it for so long. He has all the Harry Potter platinum trophies. <laughs> <laughs> My trophy count is here we go. Sinking. Sinking. More sinking. Five, I've got I'm level twenty six on PlayStation. Holy crap. Which is uh, if you play PlayStation you you know it's a lot. <laughs> Yeah, because yeah, I have... How many platinum trophies is that? Like, I don't know what level 26 means. If you can't find out... Uh, it's I'm... 8, which isn't too much. Weird, because I'm level 18 and I have 20 platinum trophies. I, I have a lot of like bronze, silver trophies. Like, I, I, I think I've played like... Yeah. Must be 200 plus games on the... It's funny, because like, there was a period of time where... <laughs> I'm going to bring up the Vita again, where I like just played a bunch of... like I was going through my Vita clog and like 100 percenting like as many of them as i could so it is 495 games i've played on playstation apparently so uh yeah there, there's a point to this That's a lot oh of games. it was the carrying wow. over stuff like trophies is i i think i think that's more games than like. i have on my steam account which is crazy because that's like where i play most oh, of my yeah. games we, we are talking like 10 plus years though like that is my lifetime. My my highest achievement is uh that one weird PSN game called Shatter. Uh, I was on the top leaderboard, like top five global leaderboard, uh, for like maybe ten minutes. Hell yeah! I uh, I was the first person in the world to get the uh, EZ North American PS4 Platinum Trophy. Dang, nerd. How can how can you ever compare to these uh, over uh, overachievers? All right, anyway, moving anyways, on. Well, one last thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I see, there seems to be like some concern. Like, if Sony games aren't exclusive to their console anymore, who will buy them? But then I think stuff like Final Fantasy VII Remake, we know that's going to be ported. It, we it's going to happen like in a year. I still think there's going to be a lot of people who are just going to buy it out of, you know, hype. Well, I think George <laughs> just now went through the whole thought process of why it's not, <laughs> it shouldn't be a concern. Because well, people enjoy well, I mean, not, in not, the not, ecosystem. They're, 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 they enjoy the way it's presented. That's where their games are. That's where their friends are. That's well, where even if people are, are not like, like dedicated to PlayStation, I still think that they, a game like Final Fantasy VII or hypothetically, a game like Horizon 2 is a game that people will buy on that console, even if they would probably have bought it on PC if it was available there. That's true. So like, even if they I, say I, outright it's coming to PC. Yeah, I think there are later, people who who will who would maybe rather would, would play Final Fantasy VII Remake on PC. And yes, some people will wait, but I also think there's probably going to be quite a few people who will not wait, and they will just buy the PS4 version now. <laughs> so... Uh, I, I bought a PS4 Pro in like the last week specifically just because I wanted to play Final Fantasy VII Remake like as good as I possibly exactly. could the That's day what it I was comes saying. out. <laughs> I'm, I'm, no, I'm, I'm just giving you, you ammunition. Versus, oh, uh, like I, I bought the PS4 version before it came to North America and now the Steam version is out. I might double dip. 
because it has way better loading times and, yeah. and just general better like input delay in it. So. I, uh, once I started playing Monster Hunter Iceborne on PC, it's really, really hard to go back to PS4 just because I am, of the start I, difference and load yeah. times. I deleted it's from like, PS4. So. Yeah, it's like, and it's like, I have like almost 700 hours in on the PS4. We're touching again. It's like kind of sad, but also like, well, screwed those load times. <laughs> like how many of those... How many of those hours have just were just waiting for things to load? And I'm that's, like, man, that's probably really, at least fifty or something. It's like crazy. That really should be a fucking major focus for next gen. Is just somehow. Well, we it seems like it kind of is. We have lost right? control of ourselves. Yeah, yeah. we've we lost control of ourselves with loading times. We, after like like the initial wait, like first two years of like the console like being okay with loading times, now it just got it fucking out of control, man. Oh my god. Can't well, when uh, when the when the PS4 and Xbox One first came out, and people were putting those SSHDs, which kind of had like a, a shining moment in the sun, like those hybrids, like a hybrid, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't even remember how they worked, but they like were popular for about a year, right when those launched, and then or people putting just straight up SSDs in their consoles. It seemed almost kind of like, all right, you're you're in too deep, but now it seems like, why wouldn't you? Like I'm not someone who but, but, knows how to modify a console like that and put an SSD in it. Yeah, but but, but SSDs on uh, consoles and SSDs and PCs still are a very big difference when it comes to loading times. Because yeah, of the then, amount of data um, processed. Yeah, and the then also like if if a console baseline expects a certain read speed from an SSD, how is that yeah. going to affect you know pay dividends for a PC port? uh with a it's same like I've... style of ssd like we that's stuff that i'm just not you know technically you know versed enough to know if that's really going to make a difference or not uh like are, are we going to see more games taking advantage of those like gig write speeds of you know m2 well it's not even just the ssds like it's not even just the ssd change for next gen consoles it's going to affect load times like um one of the things I've kept reading is that one of the main reasons why so many games are such bloated file sizes is because the CPUs in the current-gen consoles aren't that powerful. So you can't really compress the files as much as you might want to because you can't, you don't really have the CPU headroom to do that decompression on the fly. So it's going to be interesting seeing if there's any impact on file sizes next-gen because the CPUs are going to be such a massive leap over what the PS4 and the Xbox One has, and how that might impact loading times too. Hmm. Though in general, oh, this... I've been seeing a bunch of people saying, "Oh, get a Ryzen 5 3600 from next gen, which is a six-core, twelve-thread CPU, where the next gen consoles are eight-core, sixteen threads." And it's like, my dude, I'm not sure if that's the best idea. Hmm. If, well, if, all this starting yeah. out of a Horizon discussion for PC, but yeah. I feel like it was mostly my fault. We got off topic. We 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 got to trophies because of me. I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll take the blame there. Well, we were all talking right. about gamer score and Xbox stuff and everything, so it's all of our fault. We'll take the equal blame. Uh, a few more tiny news hits here. To move on, CD Projekt. They are commencing the development of a new Witcher game following the launch. Yeah. Of Cyberpunk 2077, which is still slated at the moment for sometime September, I think. Please yeah. be excited. So. Who, who I, was so... it? Someone hadn't played Witcher last time we talked about it. and Me? What? I, I feel okay. like I got annoyed at you last time for it as well. It's so good. 
Anyways, it's because I want to play them in order, and that's yeah, a big time commitment. Yeah. It's like I played Anyways, three, but I, I I feel like why this announcement was made. This was originally made with an interview on a Polish finance site with Polish yes. journalists. So I don't think they were even gaming journalists, but it was like finance people. And I think these people were worried. And this is speculation on my part. They're like, well, once CD Projekt finishes Cyberpunk, what are you doing? You know, because uncertainty is like the devil for finance. We have learned that uncertainty over yes. this past week has... Is hurt uh, stocks, yeah. Uh, Economics, yeah. So, it, like, it was this. It was this discussion on a Polish finance site, like Stoop.pl or something, and then Eurogamer Poland reported on it because they mentioned that they are going to work on a Witcher game. Um, now, Eurogamer Poland obviously is in Polish, and I don't speak Polish, but just through the Polish language and through a machine translator, that article seems like it pretty clearly says they are working on a Witcher game, or they are planning on it. But then I guess your gamer English re reported instead that it was not necessarily going to be a Witcher game, but that they're going to be working only in Witcher and only in Cyberpunk. So it's either going to be one or the two. And chances are it's probably Witcher. Just would you, you know, would you work in Witcher or would you work in Cyberpunk? Like they maybe could be a Cyberpunk follow up right, right away instead. But I guess it was maybe slightly ambiguous according to your English. But anyways, well, I, I, I believe I'm guessing the Netflix show and stuff like that was what led non-gaming journalists to ask about it because you could argue, well, and we, and we the, even saw I think like, the sales the dividends from the Steam version to get bumped because of the the Netflix well, show. No, so they didn't ask about any time to capitally. Oh, okay. I believe the question was about like, like, are you going to be working on another single-player game like Cyberpunk? And they said yes. And whether or not it's Witcher or Cyberpunk, I believe the reason why they made this, it was like they said this, but it wasn't really an announcement. It was basically just to calm the uncertainty of Polish financing people and just like, yes, we are ramping up our next game. So yeah. we will have we'll stuff to do that we are going to be releasing, you know, in the future. So you're, yeah. you're, 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 please invest in us, you know, we, in the Polish video stock market. Yeah. We'll still be making video games. Yeah. So that, I'm pretty sure that's why this announcement was kind of this pre announcement was made. Was basically just to settle the, the the nerves of Polish financiers, um, so, and it's not un exactly unexpected. But I guess people who are Witcher are really excited, of course, because they want to see more of it. It'll probably be like five years away or more. Um, on that note, I should mention: Do you remember when Cyberpunk was very first teased? Oh, Cyberpunk seventy seven. Like eight that was years 2016? ago. Twenty sixteen. Two thousand and twelve. Wait, no way, really? Yes. Yes, oh we have a site post for it. Um, uh, they teased it in 2012. Um, that was before, like, that was during the development of Witcher 3, not oh, pretty early in the development of Witcher 3. Um, so, yeah, it's they teased it. I would that have never guessed ago. that far back, yeah. Yeah. Oh. I mean, it's it's uh, this might just be coincidence and not indicative of anything, but if CD Projekt becomes the studio that bounces between Cyberpunk and Witcher, kind of like sci-fi versus high fantasy and then we've seen bioware previously do that though whether whether they're still going to do that who knows um and then bethesda is kind of jump making this shit the jump to sci-fi with starfield it's just kind of interesting that those are the two realms that these rpg studios seem to land in all right so uh, moving on uh, uh just quickly uh nippon ichi software uh announced their new rpg Shoujo Jigoku no Doku Musume. Uh, character designs are by Madoka Harashiro, which uh, is 
primarily known for her work in the princess guide and the witch in the hundred night too this looks to be like a sort of like a cutesy dungeon craw uh, crawler type deal but kind of a morbid take on it. it has a really nice key visual uh for it, it might i think it might be up on the site with a, a guy in a in the suit and his right arm is just a skeleton arm and uh and they have like by a radio tower uh it looks neat it's coming in japan i think sometime this, this year june, june 25th and yeah uh that looks nice. labyrinth of galleria Oh yeah, that's right. And there's, there's Labyrinth no, of Galleria. Yeah. There's still no update on the the Labyrinth of Refrain sequel that was announced. Oh, how many months ago? And it was announced was over a year ago, I think. Over a year, March twenty wow. seventh, two thousand nineteen. Oh so not quite a year yet. And yeah. indefinitely, well, delayed it might have been teased bit. before then, but that's like when the very first. I don't um, know if it's canceled or indefinitely delayed. Who knows? But there's no sign of it. Uh, I know a lot of people like James are very excited for it because Labyrinth the Refrain, which I still need to get to, uh, very good. Um, and uh, kind of capping out the news, we have uh, one Reginald Fizame. You may know him as Reggie. Uh, he used to uh, work for Nintendo, uh, the company as Nintendo. Uh, he is joining GameStop at the board of directors along with William Simon, known as Bill, and James Semancic, I believe, uh, and is known as JK. Apparently, everyone needs nicknames uh, when joining GameStop uh, board of directors. <laughs> um, from Fisa May, he says, the gaming industry needs a healthy and vibrant GameStop. I look forward to being a part of GameStop Corporation Board and helping to make this happen. So uh, just a few months ago, Reggie announced his retirement from Nintendo, and then he's been uh, ever since then. He was uh, doing some talks at some universities. I think we and, just uh, passed the year anniversary of that announcement. Oh wow! So it's already been a year. Yeah, time flies. Yeah. So we'll see if uh, Reggie and all the other new hires at the board of directors can turn it around for GameStop. Things haven't been looking great for them for quite a while now, with you know retail slowly being shifted out from video games. Um, I'd like to see GameStop still around, or at least a retail presence. Not exactly the uh, best time for that to be announced, considering yeah. just a few days later, it's like, who's going to go out the worst? Nobody that sale. So, mm -hmm. I don't really buy that many video games in general. And when I do, oftentimes it's like Steam or a digital game. And even if I do get like a physical game, I usually just go Amazon, so... And I think you're not alone, which is why. Yeah. Yeah. The main Welcome. reason. <laughs> so the yeah, main like... reason I buy physical copies because I have a local store that breaks street date, so it's like I can get it a few days early. And but even even like just my my personal case is I have so many games to play that like I don't really care about playing on day one. So even if I buy from Amazon and get like a week shipping, which is like long shipping time, like oh that's fine, I'll just play it a week later. Once again, I feel like I'm in the minority here because it's like, I I really like having like my physical collection, and I am an absolute sucker for oh pre-order bonus. You get this cool metal plate that comes with the game. Like I, I, I always fall for it. So like with Neo too, I just so, so normally I would laugh at you and be like, oh you're a sucker. You know you have to grow <laughs> up. But 
Guess 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 what I've done in the last twenty four hours? I've gone to the store and bought ten butterfingers for that uh, <laughs> seven diet. I felt like an absolute asshole yeah. in language because people are there like buying up toilet paper and uh, pasta, and here I am at the checkout line with my butterfingers. <laughs> I'll have ten butterfingers, <laughs> and, I, I, and I just and I just got the like like email back saying you've got all the reco- like you're good to go, and I got the Tifa theme for PlayStation and. Uh, all right, to try to reel this back into GameStop, uh, I'm not obviously an economist or a, like a, I don't have a business degree, but one thing that I always am surprised to hear when I hear about like GameStop's presence is just how many stores there are. So in my uneducated, uninformed opinion, I just feel like they've overextended. Or maybe there was a point in time 10 years ago where that's what was that was what the business supported, but now it's not it, there. It, it's the rise of digital. I mean, that's, that's the main yeah, cause of it. So uh, I hope I think it's inevitable that we're going to see stores close. We're going to see them contract, but maybe I hope that they find a balance where they learn where what they can support, what what people like. I feel like there's got to be a place where the percentage of people that buy physical might be decreasing. We might be on a downward slope, but it's going to plateau at some point. Whether that's Forty percent of all purchase games are physical, or twenty percent. I don't know where it's going to bottom out. I'm not going to pretend to be knowledgeable on that. But I feel like you can't just say, "Oh, it's trending down." Therefore, at some point, it's going to end up at zero. I just think that's you know, you got data caps. You got people have different you know infrastructures for you know digital goods things. I like mean, that. obviously, so, people want physical copies because limited run games. They're doing great business. So, all right. So I just GameStop just has to readjust, reconfigure so that they match what that plateau point is at and whether that, that might require a downsizing or shrinking. And uh, I think re- if Reggie thinks that he has the know-how in the background to uh, kind of help direct that change, then all for it. I'm glad to see someone who's passionate about it. And he's not just going to say, oh, it's trending down. Therefore, why even put effort into it? So... I think most people have a pretty high opinion of Reggie. That might not be universally true. Uh, I think that this is generally, you know, good and interesting. But obviously, we won't really be able to know until we see, you know, output from that. Yeah. But and then obviously we've got everything else going on with malls probably shutting down overall and stores, you know, in general. Like that's just complicating factors, like like James alluded to. I really hope that local store I go to does like survives this because I am worried. <laughs> Yeah, it's a ter- it's a terrifying prospect, isn't it? Like what yeah. it's going to do to the economy. But but let's not get too into that again because it just gets sad. <laughs> well, best of luck to Reggie and um, seeing where he can bring GameStop. Hopefully, you know they can turn it around. And because I know a lot of people still rely on um, GameStop trade-ins, they're not the best return value. But you know, I still know some people that. That well, do like I think, the, I think it's, it's like a, it's like their routine. They're not they're not really out for it for like the the most profit or the most like you know efficient like like you know trade backends. It's just part of their routine. It's kind of what they're used to, what they know. So I, I think it would it'd be a bummer for them to 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 lose GameStop because you know just just the convenience of like just heading down to the store down the road, getting a few bucks back, and being able to refinance that into what other expenditures they're making well, like, at least getting something back immediately like, is nice uh, for them 
I was I was playing a um, like two Christmases ago. I was playing like a multiplayer Xbox 360 game. I didn't have enough Xbox 360 controllers. Where are you gonna go on a Saturday midday to go grab an Xbox 360 mm-hmm. controller? You could probably order one refurbished somewhere and wait. And but but by that time you're. Long story short, I would go to GameStop, pick up a good quality used controller, and there it is. Like even me, yeah. who has barely ever stepped foot into a GameStop, found that you know useful and like patronized them. So, and then obviously there's the, there's the, there's the, um, level of gamer who might only purchase games twice a year or, or it's a parent buying for their relatives or their children or their, you know, nephews yeah. and they, they pass by it in the mall and they know that the game's coming out that their young, you know, young relative was interested in, you know, things like that. So not everyone's going to just go to PSN and download what they want as soon as they want it. Yeah. Especially so because inter- inter- internet infrastructure is still very inconsistent, you know, at, right. at some parts of the country as well. So we'll see. That uh, yeah. wraps up our discussion on our news topics and all the games that we've been playing. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the TetraCast. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, George. Thank you, uh, James. Thank you, Brian, uh, for uh, being able to join us. You know, uh, it was a close call. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Th- yeah. yeah, thanks for hosting for us. Just some technical issues. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's nice to be in a different Stay chair, safe, so. everyone. Yeah, everyone, you know, stay safe. It's kind of weird, unpredictable times, you know, but just uh, be vigilant. Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. And other than that, you can find us on RPGSite.net. You can find us on the socials at Twitter over at RPG Site. You can find us on Facebook through RPG Site Net. You can find us on our YouTube, RPG Site Net. You can also find us on the iTunes. Just search up TetraCast. You can find us on Twitter. George, where they, where can they find you? So my Twitter handle is at gpug, which is G-E-P-U-G-G. James, where can they find you? At T-H-E-S-W-W-E-E-T. Brian, where can they find you? Z-O-M-A-S-S-I-C-O-T. Z-E-O-M-A-S-S-I-C-O-T. Adam, where can they find you? K-I-N-G underscore S-E-D-A. You can find me, Josh, over at HDKarin, H-D-K-I-R-I-N. Thank you, everyone. Stay safe. Sanitize.